available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. My talking is going to be a little bit limited today. My voice is not uh, 100%, but... We're going to bring it for you because we got to talk about all the Pac-12 teams in the college football playoff. I'm sure it's going to be exciting. See if they can win a national championship, David. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't look. I'm just excited to watch Arizona, you know, Colorado, UCLA, USC, Oregon State compete in bowl games. Right. I think that's going to be the real highlight for me in December. We know you. The we know the Pac-12 will not go one and eight in bowls this year, so that's good. We it's a positive. <laughs> Uh, well, we have an exciting show for you. We've got a guest, but I want to let you guys know how to get a hold of us. Our email, if you want to send an email, and a lot of you have, pac12podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to tweet us, you can do that too, at pac12podcast. Um, you can also leave us a voicemail or a text message. 424-532-0678 is the number. And you can find all that contact information and all of our old episodes, all of our picks, all of that stuff on pac12podcast.com. That's our website, our blog that Dave and I update, or I mean, I update. <laughs> and then, you know. But we have a very special guest. So uh, definitely one of, I think I say this joke every time, one of the top 10 people covering the, the Pac-12. Uh, but there's not that many of you guys, but Kyle Gonabora. Gonabora! Kyle Gonabora. Kyle Bonagora. Follow him on Twitter at B-O-N-A-G-U-R-A-E-S-P-N, right? Got that right? Kyle is in studio. What's up, Kyle? That's my favorite introduction I've ever gotten in any sort of show ever. <laughs> I'd like I'd like a copy of this later. I'm going to play it on a loop when I'm driving around town. <laughs> my Kyle really- Gonabura. <laughs> wow, I think, I think you've got a new handle when the uh, Russians give you back your Twitter account. <laughs> I don't even know how to spell that, so I'm going to rely heavily on those guys to figure out the pronunciation. They were herocious. Yeah, that was, uh, that was herocious. I, my voice really is almost gone so we'll see how long i last but we want to bring kyle in not because i didn't want to have to speak as much but you know obviously he's an expert on everything going on there's a lot of stuff going on in the pac-12 that hasn't been i guess positive you guess you'd say we don't want to be too mean but it's not been uh pretty much one slap in the face after another and uh, we will talk about a lot of that stuff with kyle but we do we're going to preview our i mean uh, recap all the games there were two games uh, over the past weekend We'll have our final uh, power rankings. These were our power rankings, almost the same as what we had last week. 24-7 didn't send out a, uh, a, a a survey for this week, so we just kind of tweaked the, the ones around. So we'll go. We'll count down those. We'll talk about the uh, some of the news going around uh, the conference, and then we'll give you guys tell you guys what bowl games the Pac-12 will be playing in, not the college football playoff, like I said at the top of the, the show. And then we'll answer your questions. Sound good, guys? That sounds great, Ryan. I don't have a choice, so we'll just go with you. Yes. You do have a choice. We, we, uh, <laughs> Dave, you missed it. We, we went out for some nice pokey 
and uh, it was it was pretty good. It was very good. I'll probably be back at some point. It's a good uh, it's a good little sp- space near the office here. Uh, but Kyle's in studio, like I said, so that's very cool. And uh, make sure you check it out. He does a great job. He's covering basketball this year too. So if you're a hoops fan, we're not going to talk about it, but Kyle will. Uh, you were just at UCLA too, right? Had to check out LMU, UCLA, at Poly last night. Nice to get my uh, get my fix, my early season fix. We got quick transition from bowl bowl announcements to a little basketball, so not a not a horrible Sunday. Okay, um, Dave and I talk about it a lot. Like obviously, he covers more basketball because UCLA cares about it more. But man, it just even mm-hmm. me. They, they care I mean, more than these USC. Days, these days, not so much. They care more about than USC. I I. I used to just watch, like I would come home and put on big Mondays or whatever it was. It's like, I don't watch any college basketball anymore until like the tournament. It's so weird. It just seems like it's like a different sport now for me. It's very much a one month sport. Yeah. You, know, you get the, the conference tournaments, I think are fun still when you have sure. those teams with a chance to punch their ticket to, to the dance. And then, then obviously the, the tournament's still, you know, probably the best, my favorite sporting event that we have, um, in the country, any, any sport, any level. Um, uh, but the regular season is so diluted and the, the level plays and always, uh, the, at the level you'd, you'd hope for if you're, you're going to spend your free time doing it, but I'll, I'll have a chance to dive in on some basketball here in the next few weeks. Cool. Um, yeah, the only parts for me that are worth watching are basically now like these early season games that are a lot of fun. And then towards the end of February, once it starts getting into like the actual like meat of the end of the conference schedule and they're winning conferences and stuff. But God, December through, I don't know, mid February is just direct. I mean, in every league, but especially the PAC 12 where the hoops are just awful. So that's my advertisement for the PAC 12 basketball season. People are saying stuff like there could be a one bid league and everything. <laughs> that's pretty bad. Oh, no, it, they might very well be. This is one of really? the PAC 12s I think I've ever seen. Wow. Um, Early going, things can change, but they look horrendous. Well, play it. Do it. Oh. Oops. Crap. Hold on. How do you not have it ready? It's ready. I hit they the, were herocious. I hit like I hit something that blocked it for a second. Sorry. Um, oh. You want to go over the spelling again? Because we had some Twitter controversy on how you spell that. So I had some friends push back at me on this. Um, I, I, you know, it's it's an early word. It's in the in the early stages of development. Um, I go with H O R O C I O U S because I'm using the R strategy from atrocious. Yes, but you could easily make an argument that it should be the R strategy from horrible or you know atrocious, which would be H O R R horrendous. Um, so it could be H-O-R or H-O-R-R. I'm willing to hear arguments under no circumstances. And this seems to be gaining some popularity on Twitter. Is it ever H-E-R-O? Yeah. I, I think I put that accidentally one time. I've wrote down H-O-R, but I, so I just want to make clear. Okay. So double R is acceptable for now or potentially. I think it's fine. I think it's fine until we have like a, until we make it into dictionary.com. I think we can use a little bit of variance with the spelling, but I think H E R is a bridge too far. Okay. Um, well, just want to go over our picks for the week. Only two games. Uh, David, you did pretty good. You were 500 one and one. Um, but for me, I was two and Oh, so that means I've like crushed you the last three weeks. Uh, yeah. Not bad. I'm eleven. Well, season's a whole new year. All eleven right? and three the last three weeks against the spread. So I, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So you're gonna have to make up some ground in the bowl season. Uh, 
Well, how about Pac-12 playoff games will count for double? Is that does that work? That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> I think that sounds wonderful. I think I've got a real a real chance to make up some ground then. Nice. Okay. Well, we'll just count down our uh, our Pac-12 uh, power rankings, and we'll talk about the two games as we. Get closer to them. So, uh, number 12, no surprise. Oregon State Beavers. Uh, number 11, we have... Colorado Buffaloes. Stick it at number 10, we have... USC Trojans. Do they have, they have the roster to be number 10, Kyle? Is that Should they not be number 10? I would have them at number 9. Big you difference. Would. Big difference. You would? I had Arizona. Oh, okay. We well, we have number nine. We have UCLA Bruins. Did we I think I I had UCLA at ten. Then I guess I wasn't really paying attention to your order here. Okay, yeah. That's, people don't pay attention to what I say. We went over these rankings ahead of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, USC is in the top of the bottom quarter. That's enough to retain a coach. I yeah, think they're the top ten. Um, and then we. So maybe this is maybe this is controversial. Should we have? At number eight, Arizona Wildcats. Wow. Do they, should they? I, be, they should I don't they, think there's much difference between the, those three South teams. Yeah, USC, UCLA, and Arizona. Uh, yeah, USC did have one less, uh, win, you know, Pac-12 win and stuff, but um, whatever. UCLA they, beat both of them, but they did beat them. Yeah, so that's uh, that, that accounted for two thirds of their Pac-12 wins. Okay, uh, number seven. We have California Golden Bears. And they played our now number four team in in big game. Stanford Cardinal. No definite article for you. This was like a this is like a medium sized game, I think. Uh Stanford won. This was Saturday, so it was weirdly. Like it was already an anticlimax because it came after the Pac-12 championship game, obviously yeah. due to fires. Um, Stanford won 23-13. I feel like this game was 13-6 to for approximately 45 minutes yeah. of game time. Um, it was I, – I think a lot of people are, are talking justifiably about the Friday night game as one of the most unwatchable games of the season. Um, this was not like that far off. This was really bad. So starting off the uh, second half – uh, here were the, 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 let's go next, I don't know, like 10 drives. Cal punt, Stanford punt, Cal punt, Stanford punt, Cal punt, Stanford punt, Cal interception, Stanford fumble, Cal missed field goal, Stanford field goal, Cal interception, and then it went touchdown, touchdown. But this like final score is really deceptive because this was like horrific football for such a long time. Um, but I think the ultimate story here is, um, as we talked about in the previews, Cal just tried to do too much offense. Yeah, <laughs> They needed to do less. They went over 300 yards, right? They went well over 350. And that's oh. just, you're not going to win any games doing that. Uh, Garbers. Yeah. Look, if you're going to try to throw the ball 39 times, this Cal, you're going to throw a couple interceptions, no matter who your quarterback is. The, the lesson is don't offense and they offense too much. And that's why they lost. Yeah. Uh, I thought Trent Irwin going out early to hurt Stanford. Um, you know, he just, he just catches everything. So I think that, you know, having a couple of their big receivers out, uh, I think that limited them a little bit. Maybe that contributed to all the punts that you had in a row. But there, it was one of those games where Stanford got out early and then you just feel like they were just going to bow or constrictor you if you're Cal because Cal was, their offense was just terrible. And I, I think I wrote a note down at, 
Uh, Cal offense just is not good. And then Patrick Laird went off and, and ran for 60 yards, but it still only led to a field goal. So he had a 60-yard run, and they still only got a field goal out of it. But it was so boring. I was baking cookies while this game was going on, and I was watching on my little iPad for the, the last day I can watch it because no more AT&T U-verse for Pac-12 network. Um, so, yeah, so I was baking cookies, trying to watch this game. Uh, there was a late interception, too, by Stanford that, uh, that almost went for a touchdown. So that touchdown you talk about for Stanford, David, that was after a near pick six. So that essentially sealed it. Cal scored a, a late touchdown. But there was just – there was not a lot of fun, watchable football to be played. And it sucks because it's like the last Pac-12 game. And it was uh, you just wanted to turn it off. So that's and you know you're gonna have months and months without without this. But it was still that bad. You just didn't want to watch. Yeah, it was a beautiful coda to the season to have these two games, and the one <laughs> we'll talk about next is even better. But yeah, I mean Stanford. Look, uh, uh, we I feel like we've been saying this every year for like the last four years. But it was a down year for Stanford, and they still went like eight and four, six and three in conference, and had a really good chance to beat the eventual Pac-12 champion on the road. So. It's also amazing to see that Stanford won eight games despite not having Bryce Love or the version yeah. of Bryce Love that we had all yep. come to know and love that I did there. <laughs> they are basically an air raid team at this point for yeah. the, for the ratio of of passes to rushes. And coming into the year, you know, we had I think everyone had decided that Bryce Love and Khalil Tate were going to share the Heisman Trophy this year. And so for to see both of those guys disappear and Love being the most obvious, I mean, I can't imagine he would play in the bowl game, right? I would, I couldn't imagine though, but no, it, how much do you think that hurt Kyle? Uh, the, the conference as a whole, not having a Khalil Tate or Bryce love be anywhere near what they were last year. I think that's huge because if you have another marquee name that people are willing to turn in for or tune in for, it doesn't even have to be the team, right? If you're going to watch Arizona this year, it wasn't to watch wildcat football. It was to see Khalil Tate. Yeah. It's the same thing with Stanford. You know, Stanford's not the most exciting brand of football. I mean, it definitely has some it appeals to some people, but you would watch to see Bryce Love because he could take off for 80 yards any given play, assuming there was 80 yards available. And <laughs> but, but without those two guys to, to draw eyeballs to those games, it, it made it so no one was willing to, to take a chance in a game that they might have not otherwise watched. And so if you don't have that name brand recognition, uh, no one's going to check out those late games. They're not going to stay up. If, if you're not a fan of either one of those teams, what's the point of watching you know, Arizona play one of these also-ran Pac-12 teams if you don't have a vested interest in any reason to tune in? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It, it is, it is um, worth kind of hammering that, uh, you know, we've been kind of critical of David Shaw and his uh, – uh, flexibility over the years, but um, he more or less reinvented this offense on the fly about midseason. So that is, you know, they did turn into, as you're talking about it, uh, essentially an air raid, but just an air raid with like a bunch of six, nine receivers, um, <laughs> which was really interesting to watch. And when those guys are like all healthy and accounted for, you know, when Caden Smith is playing and the whole group is together. That's that that thing's un, like indefensible. It's, you really can't do much against it. It's the best three. If you're going to play a game of three flies up, is this the best yeah. three flies up team in the history of college football? <laughs> it might be. It, and I think Cal did a really good job of stopping some of those uh, just fades. You know, the, some of those jump balls. I think Cal defenders, you saw them get underneath. They just disrupted what Stanford wanted to do. And they, they could Stanford could have scored more, you know, and uh, I thought the Cal, Cal defense to me is legit. Like, the offense is garbage, but the, the the defense played well. I thought they played well against that, whatever you want to call Stanford. And I do. I want to. We we bag on David Shaw a lot, but 
he was, you know, he can be really stubborn about things, but he figured, you know, he figured it out and said, okay, we are going to do this. You feel like he's reluctant to do what you know is going to work, but I think he figured it out later. Like, okay, we got to do this. This is, this is our strength of our team. And the only reason I know this is because of a potential coaching search, but did you know that Texas Tech had more rushing touchdowns and attempts than Stanford did? Like, how crazy is that? That did definitely bubbled up this week. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's call it the flying ogre. The fly- how about that? I like that. I'm in on it. Cool. David Shaw would be good without it, too, I think. Um, okay, so let's uh, move on to our next. Uh, where were we? So that was Cal was seven. Okay, so our number six team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Herm Edwards, last year, they finished second in the Pac-12. This year, finished second in the Pac-12. Pretty good for. Did you expect that from Herm, or did you? Were you were you panning the higher like most of us were? I, I didn't think it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to work this year, because also, I mean, I just didn't think they were going to be better than USC. I didn't think they were going to be better than Arizona. I thought Chip was going to do more at UCLA this year. So I kind of had Arizona State pegged at around number five. I mean, they made a, I might have had them last in the, in, I, I in the did, division, yeah. actually, because I, I I think I was a little bit higher on Colorado, too. So for them to finish second, yeah, certainly surprised. But also, like, I wasn't necessarily that impressed watching them either. It's I, They're exceeded expectations, but at the same time, when you're in a division as bad as the Pac-12 South, yeah. someone had to win those games, right? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I I picked them last, but once we had Chris Cartman on from the, you know, from Sun Devil Source, and he was like, we kind of described like how this team could be pretty good this year. I'm like, you know, that does make a lot of sense. Like I'm not long-term on Herm, but I, I bought in for this year, at least a little bit more, but I, I picked them last in the, the South pole. Nikhil Harry. Yeah. Good luck in the NFL. He's not going to play in the bowl game. Yeah. That's a, that was one of the news things we wanted to to bring up. Um, yeah. So he's going to move on. He won't play. Uh, we won't, we won't spoil it, but he won't go to Vegas. It's a Vegas. No, bowl, it's dude. so sad. It's yeah. so sad. Uh, all right. Our number five. Team we have Oregon Ducks. Just that's a weird team this year, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes good, sometimes not. Uh, Stanford. We already talked about number four. Our number three team, Utah Utes, winning the Pac-12 South for the first time. They were in the Pac-12 championship game against our number one team, Washington Huskies. <laughs> God, this was so awful. Um, <laughs> it was so bad. I like it was so bad that I enjoyed it. You know, you know, in that way, and I think I do this especially is where like I really revel in the in the ac- absolute like dog crappiness of something. But this was this was something else. Um, Jake Browning was bad, and he was not like the worst quarterback on the field, um, which is a rarity. Um, Washington won. So I guess there's that. They won 10 to 3. Uh yes, that was the final score, 10 to 3. Um neither team scored an offensive touchdown. Uh Washington <laughs> scored its touchdown in the third quarter off of maybe the like one of the better throws from Jason Shelley. Maybe. I don't know. It kind of tipped up and then into the arms of um who was it? Who was it? Uh Byron Murphy. Who yeah. ran it into the uh, end zone for the score? Um, really, just—I mean, it was—it was just a horribly played offensive game for both teams. I mean, both very good defenses, but also just horrible offense. Um, Jake Browning only had one interception. He probably should have had at least two. Um, his interception was actually, again, probably one of his better throws of the night, uh, where it just kind of bounced off the receiver's hands into the waiting arms of a Utah player. 
Uh, Jason Shelley threw three picks. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't great. Um, Utah basically didn't move the ball at all in the first half, kind of got it going a little bit more in the second half. Um, there's a lot of talk about this missed pass interference call at the end of the game. Don't talk about that. Like, Utah scored three points. They weren't going to score more than either. And frankly, I'm with the refs. Just end that game. End <laughs> it as soon as possible. Um, Washington, like, they could have played – they could have played this for, I think, three full games, 12 full quarters, and I don't know that Utah would have scored an offensive touchdown. <laughs> there really, But, Dave, there really was no better way to end the Pac-12 season no. than with a missed call from the officials. And then to have Kyle Whittingham you know, yelling at them on his way to, to, to shake hands with Chris Peterson. It was just like, this is, that's all you're going to remember. This is all I'm looking for here. We got the, we got the lasting moment that really did a good job of, (laughs) of summing up the season really well. So I was, I was actually a fan of that at the end, just for the, just for, for the story more than anything. That was fitting. And then it was also fitting to have another crappy game the next day that it didn't matter. So that was, you know, all this stuff, this was very (laughs) packed 12, the way this went down, you know? Um, I mean, this game, so Utah for the second week in a row shut out in the first half. So that's, uh, that's, that's no bueno. Now they came back to, to win against BYU and they actually showed a lot of offense in that game. They didn't get anything going in this one. Like you said, it's a three, it was a three, three tie. And like, you're just looking at yourself. Like, wh- why am I doing this? Like what I don't need to be, <laughs> what's, what is the point here? Um, and Washington, I don't know what they were doing. Like Browning was eight of eighteen in the first half. They went for it twice on fourth down. Four of their five drives went to Utah territory, and they got three points out of it. It was just like, it was just weird. Like it, it just wasn't working on their end either. Uh, but that uh, Byron Murphy uh, pick that was bounced—that was like one of the weirdest plays you ever see. Like that's very fitting that that was the only touchdown uh, of the game. But he returned at sixty-six yards, and like outside of that, like. This might have been six three or uh, in like triple overtime. Like I don't. Know. It's either that or they'd still be playing, <laughs> and it would still be three three. Although Matt Gay is a good kicker, so they it would be in a, it would be like a shootout with with field goals at the end because it certainly didn't seem like they were going to get into the end zone at any point offensively, even no. starting at what the twenty five. This was so enough. Matt Gay's Matt Gay's field goal needs to be mentioned because that was cool. It was. It was fifty three yards. Snuck it in from fifty three yards. That's that. That was impressive. It made it over the crossbar by like a foot or something, right? Like it was very close. We're sitting here talking about kicks. Yeah, that's how this game was. So wait, Utah's only points came on a field goal greater than fifty yards. Like that's. Yeah, I'd like to look up when the last time that <laughs> happened was. Your only points came on a <laughs> on a fifty plus field goal. Then that's it. Oh. Was, and uh, Br- Britton Covey looked like he had an ACL. Did we get any word on that? Uh, he was out. I don't. I don't. I haven't heard since then. Um, it looked like when he came, got off up, got up off the field. I don't know if it looked like it to you, but when the way he was like clapping his hands and cheering, that was uh, oh, I'm done. Like I'm done for the year, but I'm going to try to rally everybody else here. And then he came back with this huge knee brace on. So I was assuming it was ACL, but I didn't look. It sucks because he was a great story this year to go on a mission and come back and and be you know a big part of that offense and uh and you know for utah it's like yeah okay you didn't win the pac-12 south i mean didn't win the pac-12 but you won the pac-12 south you did it without huntley and without moss and you know it i think it's just a great accomplishment for kyle whittingham it's a down division like kyle said uh our kyle kind of kyle bonagora but it's still you almost did it again you almost did it again i'm just i'm not i'm not myself we'll do pronunciation lessons after the after the show it's like yes I'm, i'm in a rough shape but I still think it's a positive 
step for Utah, just being close, second place a bunch of times. You know, last year wasn't that great, but to be able to bounce back and take advantage, uh, you know, they they could have folded up shop after the Arizona State game uh, where ASU came out and played well. Utah wasn't playing well, even with the, their stars in there. And then they get hurt, and uh, at least Huntley got hurt in that game, and then Moss, you know, the, the week of practice afterwards. But you could have seen them fold up shop at that point, but to come back and, and win a couple games and, and make it to the championship, uh, I think it's a it's great for Utah, but I would have liked to see a better showcase of the Conference of Champions talents in football uh, in this one. And there, there wasn't a lot of people there either. So there was. I, I think what's good for Utah was that they were able to buck the trend, their November trend, because they've, yeah. they've been consistently in the mix in the Pac-12 South. You know, year after year, they're the one team that you know, it seems to always be there, but then they kind of fade at the end of the year. And then when those injuries happen, now you're like, okay, well, now it's kind of inevitable that they're not going to be able to finish strong, and that they were able to come back. And after that loss to Arizona State, where Arizona State did play very well that day, to win, to, to win against Oregon, to then to, to close things out against Colorado, uh, to seal the deal and get to go to their first conference title game was was good for them, right? And they they, yeah. they did, and, and they were able to wrap it up with a, with a week to spare because they had the, the BYU game allowed some of their fans to get to, to Santa Clara. So that while the game wasn't attended very well, only like thirty five thousand people there announced at least, uh, Utah did have a good showing, and I, I think that's something that should be pointed out with Utah is that. Their fan base does a very good job of, of of traveling to games. That's one of the things you know. We'll, maybe we'll get into a little bit later with some of the bowl selections that you know, Utah was kind of on the fence with with the Holiday Bowl. But I think one of the things that pushed them um, worked in their favor was they did show well for for the Pac-12 title game. They did show that they're um, willing to to go tra- you know, travel with this team, you know, wherever there might be. So the the big winner, as always, is is Utah fans they, and Larry yeah. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we'll get- he got. I mean, he got a good showing. He got a, well, a great reception when he presented the trophy at the end. I thought. I, I thought it was a big day for him. Uh, That's probably the lasting image, right? That, yeah. The combination of that and the, the, the mixed pi. The people who were there, and I wasn't at this game, but you saw a lot of people commenting saying that it was the loudest the stadium was during the whole game. Was when when Larry was presenting the trophy and the booze on him, which is man. That's insane! Like wild. I mean, it just wasn't, it didn't look good. It wasn't a good look. They had to tarp off the top of this. You know, it's like, why are you doing this there? And we'll, we'll get, we'll get into some of the criticism of the, the PAC 12, but man, that, that I think one more year uh, on the contract and then it's got to go to Vegas. Cause it's just, there's no local support. Utah fans came, but Washington fans didn't come. It's a short week. You got to turn around fast. Um, it's not real easy to do. You it's know? right after Thanksgiving where a lot of people are traveling the week before anyways. Yeah. So to turn around and travel again the following week is a, is, a, is a tough ask, especially to a place like Santa Clara where there's not a lot of, rede- and I'm from the Bay Area so I can talk about it negatively. They, there's just not much to do in the South Bay, right? You don't visit- On a friggin' Friday you night too. No one's going to visit Santa Clara on vacation. Like that doesn't <laughs> happen. You know, if the game, you could, if the stadium was actually physically located in San Francisco, you could, it might be yeah. easier sell because it's just a better place to visit. But what's nice about Vegas is where, especially where there's like, a, first of all, there's a lot of reasons to like this game in Vegas, but where it's going to be located, the fact that it's, there's a lot of flights that get there. It's e- then it will be easy to get to the stadium. There'll be, it'll be cheaper, both from a hotel standpoint point and a, and a flight standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to fly into San Jose, then you got to stay in a, in a hotel somewhere in the South Bay. It's not easy to get to Levi's that the, all the logistical nightmares that exist, um, with having the game at Levi's just 
are out the window as soon as you move that game to Vegas. And people have talked about maybe playing it in Inglewood at the new NFL stadium here in Los Angeles, but I don't really like that either because you have a lot of the same issues that you have with playing the game in Santa Clara. And then you have the added element of, oh, you know, if USC is in the game, if UCLA is in the game, you you worry about maybe there's some competitive uh, balance issues that you have to worry about that those things just don't exist in Vegas, right? I think there's people like going. The basketball tournament's so much fun to go there. I, I, I went for the first time last year and it was amazing to see every single fan base there right so i i mm-hmm. think it would if, if it goes to vegas you still have some of the the travel issues that are different in other parts of the country right so like you know if you're in the big 10 everyone who lives in big the big 10 footprint for the most part are able to travel to indianapolis you know if you're in sec country atlanta is easy to get to yeah there's not really a place for pac-12 fans where everyone can drive to or it's easy to get to you know vegas is probably the the best compromise because it is just caters to there's just so many direct flights. yeah you, you can, can fly in there any any time it's great and uh i mean last year i think there was more usc fans than stanford fans and that's like a what 10 mile drive or something and i used to work you know when i, when I was an engineer i lived in the bay area for a little while too but when i would work up there for the weekends like you could do whatever you wanted in the South Bay, but you know, in the, in Silicon Valley, it's just not, you know, there's, there's nothing going on during the week. That's when hotels are expensive. It's hard to get a rental car, but if you want to come in on the weekend, at least it's easier, but no one's doing it. You know, like everyone's leaving on the weekends cause they work there and then they get out of there. So it's just, it's a weird place to have it. Yeah. And I think they like the idea of having it in the Bay area just cause the PAC 12 is located there. The PAC 12 does have, you know, professional relationships with people at the 49ers that help facilitate, um, the, you know, that, that partnership and having the game there. I mean, I, when it first was announced, I could have, I understood the logic behind it, but now that it has existed for what are we, what are we like five years in that's been played at Levi, something like that, four or five years. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't work anymore. And it's time to kind of shut that experiment down and, and move on to something else. And, uh, you know, I'll always believe that Vegas is the best option until yes. you, you play it there. And we learn that for whatever reason, it doesn't work. And then at that point, I think that's when you would have to consider going back to the, to the home hosted model. But uh, I, I do like the neutral site um, as an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't work in Vegas, it would definitely not work in Englewood. So yep. you, you just do that. And <clears throat> the odds of people booking a trip to Vegas on the off chance, their team ends up in the Pac-12 championship game and, Oh, whoops, they didn't make the Pac-12 championship game. I guess I'm still going to Vegas. That seems much higher than, you know, the similar scenario with, say, Santa Clara. So, right. And also, if you, the, the flights are cheaper too. So, if you want, if you want to just book a Southwest ticket, right? <laughs> yeah. That money, you, you don't have to use the ticket. It just right. sits there and you're kind of using it at their time. It doesn't really, it's not really, there's not a big risk there in booking travel early going to, to Vegas because you can get out of that. And if your team doesn't that. make it, you're still in Vegas. So, like, exactly. You know, if you want to do that. Uh, okay, well, we also, we, we didn't talk about one team, our number two team. Washington State Cougars. And, uh, yeah, so the picks for that weekend, we Dave and I both picked Stanford. They were uh, favored by two. They covered easily. And then uh, Utah was getting five points. I picked Washington, laying the five. Dave picked Utah, and uh, Washington covered. So those are our picks. That's going to wrap. That's our whole, the whole Pac-12 season is is gone. It's crazy. It's not over until our picks are over, and that doesn't happen until after bowl season. So we're going to talk about that that. in mind, Ryan. And you're picking first for all bowl games. Okay. By the way, I'll do that. Um, So you can pick opposite me just to catch up. Uh, Okay. So we have breaking news to do, do like 
okay. So what do we got going on? Um, Colorado, Kyle, what's the latest going on there? They don't have a head coach. They do not. And there's, you know, speculation. There's a lot of, a lot of names that are being considered there. Um, I believe Mel Tucker from, from George, the defensive coordinator is the, is the one name that has kind of risen to the top of the list that everyone's talking about. There's nothing done yet. I think Rick Scott or Rick George rather, um, combining, uh, combining Larry Scott and Rick George there. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been kind of funny to watch how Colorado has handled this. Cause there was the report that Mike McIntyre was going to be fired. Right. Then you get the statement from Colorado that says we don't comment on, uh, these types of decisions, but we will shoot down the idea that McIntyre will be fired at the end of the year. So it was like them commenting that they don't comment. And then they issued another statement saying that Mel Tucker had not been, had not been hired as the head coach yet either. So it's, I've enjoyed the, uh, the game there of, of, of trying to shoot down these rumors until it becomes official. But, but that, you know, if, if it is him, it, it seems like a, an interesting addition to the league, obviously coming from the defensive side of the ball at a place where they've been very good defensively. I, I don't know much about, um, about him personally or, you know, who he might bring anything like that. And it's obviously, it's still not done yet either, but, but I'm intrigued by kind of raiding, uh, raiding an sec, uh, coaching staff that hasn't yeah. happened here in a while. If I'm, I can't, nothing's coming to mind right off the top of my head. No. Yeah. That, yeah. I think it's an interesting, well, if it becomes a higher, uh, the, the Saban coaching tree has done pretty well, well most places. I don't know if Tennessee that's working out so great so far. But of of late, it's done pretty well, and you're really before. talking about Kirby Smart. Um, there have been some bad ones. There have been some real duds in that coaching tree. But um, Tucker, I don't know. I mean, he's got kind of the resume. He hasn't just worked for Saban. Um, I mean, like I, worked- I believe he was only with Saban for one year. He was with him at Michigan State as a GA and then at LSU. Oh, okay. Um, and then he came back to Alabama. So he to three different stints, but each only, I think, a year. Right. And but Kirby, he, he worked for Kirby for a little while, right? Or or with Kirby. He, he he's been with Kirby the last two years. Okay. But he also was with Jim Tressel. Like he's got some oh, good yeah. some good framework there um from a coaching lineage standpoint. Um I, I don't know. I think it'd be a fine hire. I think it works. Um I, my thing was, I think Colorado, with the way it's recruiting these days, which is not really that great, it's kind of bottom quarter of the Pac-12. I'd like them to see see them go with something a little non-traditional, um, somebody who runs something pretty innovative offensively. I mean, we talked about this at length, but like Dino Babers, just give him a call. See if he wants to come. Um, because I think they need to do that to kind of kickstart things a little bit. I don't know if going the traditional getting a defensive guy route is necessarily the way I would be, uh, would be approaching this, but I think it's a, I think it would probably be a pretty decent hire nonetheless. And, and I think if you do, if you are able to identify a young creative offensive coordinator, that'll leave, you know, alleviate some of the concern by not, and you could still install an offense that's, that's like that with a defensive minded head coach. So I, it's one of those, you wait until the staff is in place to do a full evaluation on it. And coaching searches are always kind of tricky, right? Cause there's, there's so many ways to win. It's like, what is the right way to win? It's always so tough to figure out. Yeah. Like, there's so many coaches. I'm like, yeah, that, that, I feel like he's going to do a good job and then, you know, falls flat or, you know, the opposite, you know, like Herm Edwards is a, is a weird hire and yeah. he exceeded expectations is what we've decided. The, so, the, the way Washington won the Pac 12 was the wrong way to win. Yeah. I know that definitively. <laughs> But yeah. whatever Colorado not does, if they win I the mean, Ro- look, not if they win the Rose Bowl though if they win the Rose Bowl we can we can give them a pass. 
Maybe. Yeah. Look, I'm a huge Buffs fan, so whatever way Colorado wants to win is the right way to win for me. I think Colorado should be able to recruit better, too. And history is one of these things that you can't argue with. But I went to call. I've gone to Colorado a few times over the past couple of years, and it is without a doubt my favorite campus to visit. I think that the football facilities, the new building there that's just a few years old now is outstanding. It's just as good as any in the conference. I like that it's part of the stadium. And like when you're in it, you're, you're overlooking the field. It just has a cool vibe to it. I really, yeah. I was really impressed by it. And if you visit some of these other places, you're like, ah, why would you go here if you have the option to go to Colorado? So I think it's one of those schools that it's, it's certainly got a higher ceiling than, than yeah. what they've been come close to getting to. Well, they've, they've won a national title and Rick George, Rick George, the way he talked about it, was like, this is the best job in the country. And I love the way the attitude he kind of had. Now, it might have been shooting for the stars a little bit, but he was selling all those things you were talking about. And I think that's uh, that's important. So we'll see. We'll see what Colorado is able to do. Um, and see, I'm curious where Mike McIntyre ends up. He'll get a job. He's yeah. a good coach. When it was, yeah, I think he's a very good coach. I think I, I would have probably kept him. I think that I would have liked to have seen one more. He's been there for a while, but. You know, the the first three or four years, even I guess it was the first three years, they were just so bad talent wise when he inherited that you almost had to wipe that slate clean and kind of put set that off to the side when you're evaluating McIntyre because of how bad they were. And then for him to have that one year where they, you know, they win the win the South, um, didn't get to go to a, a New Year's six game, but, you know, did did make it to that Alamo Bowl was he was the national coach of the year that year. I thought, yeah. I, you know, he's got he's got some potential to do some good things. Obviously, you wonder, too, how much of. Uh, an influence did Jim or did Levitt have in as a defensive coordinator? Right. He, he left and they've been, they haven't been the same since they, uh, so I think they finished two and seven, right? So they're last in the PAC 12 South. So he, so McIntyre five times last in the PAC 12 South one time won it. So, um, he won it as many times as Kyle Whittingham, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he just finished last every other time. Um, also stuff there, the, one of the, you know, we talked about before USC not firing, uh, Clay Helton and much to, uh, the the joy the jubilation of eleven of the Pac-12 teams that we that that call in or write into the show, the USC fans don't seem to be too happy about it, and I can attest to that. But uh, we reported uh, that Cliff Kingsbury was going, you know, uh, not a deal in place, but a, a deal agreed to in principle, uh, like five days ago. You know, so we're idiots apparently because that's not the case. Um, most of the people that cover the team, like the USC sites, were reporting the same thing. Um, I think USC will be shocked if he does not. But a lot of the sources outside of people around the team are not as optimistic as that. So this could be, I think it'd be a big hire for USC. I think that, I mean, it just works. Cliff Kingsbury would come in and they would score a lot of points. USC's 90th or was 90th in the country in points per game. And uh, you bring a guy like Kingsbury in there with their receivers and they'll be fine. I think they would score a lot of points. So we don't know what's going to happen yet. So if you saw the report, you know, that put up on my site that, yeah, he was uh, a deal uh, agreed to in principle. It appears to be that we're morons. So I don't <laughs> well, it, whatever, even if he doesn't get hired, it's still a really good sign. I think if you're <clears throat> a USC fan, because it's a sign that they're actually thinking the right way about this in terms of who they might hire for that job. I mean, that's somebody with an innovative scheme, one of the top, you know, offensive guys in the country and a non-traditional scheme, you yeah. know, not going with some guy who's like just some NFL dude who's going to run just pro style stuff, which I think can work at USC, but going with somebody who's, I mean, that's instant fix offense. Like, I think that's somebody who's going to come in and it, 
honestly, any air raid guy would come in and immediately have them performing at a top 20 level. Um, and I think Kingsbury could maybe even do a little bit more than that. The only weird thing with air raid is it can take a little while to learn. Um, but USC is probably, they probably have more baseline talent than a typical team starting to use the air raid because they have more baseline talent than like all but five teams in the country. Um, so maybe not the usual growing pains, but if you look at what Leach did at Wazoo or even what Kingsbury had to do when he first started at Texas Tech, it took them like a year or two before they were really firing like crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. You could see it take a little bit of time, but I think no matter what, if they end up with Kingsbury, that's a top 20 offense next year. It's And it's also a no-lose. Ryan and I were talking about this earlier. It's a, it's a no-lose situation for Cliff Kingsbury, right? He comes into USC if they turn things around all of a sudden, you know, back to competing for the conference title or in kind of that level, which you would expect at USC, he's going to get all the credit, right? He was able to overcome yep. the Clay Helton uh, aspect and, and was able to save USC football. And now if they, if, if it doesn't happen, if the, if the offense doesn't work out for whatever reason, if it takes some time, like you were saying, Dave, then who's going to get the blame there? It's not going to be Cliff Kingsbury because he's got the resume that shows that he knows how to coach offense. It's going to fall back on Clay Helton. So at that yeah. point, it, you know, if, if, if the staff doesn't last through next year, you know, Kingsbury's reputation isn't going to take a hit from that. That's all going to fall on Clay and, and Lynn Swan and, and the, the, the crew that's already in place. He's going to be able to go wherever he wants the next year, whether it's the NFL as an offensive coordinator, whether that's, you know, in the college level as a, as a head coach, whether that's as an offensive coordinator, another big school, whatever that, whatever it ends up being, he's not going to be, um, prevented from seeing his career advance in the right direction because it doesn't work at USC. I, I mean, I'm, I hope it happens just because I'll be interested, and I think a lot of people will be interested. And, and I do think the roster, I mean, it, like you said too, again, Dave, that it, it's built for it, but it's really built for it in terms of who they, they have talent across the board, but they're receivers, and they have a young quarterback to work with. That's got to be appealing for, for Kingsbury. That's yeah. the type of situation you want to go into. I see his track record developing being quarterbacks is is pretty damn good. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I, I think that's where, you know, Dave's point's a good one that USC, like, so what has UCLA done when they've hired coaches? They've not got Chip Kelly's. Like this was a, a you know, a steering away from the their normal path. And that's something that UCLA did. USC's normal path is not to do anything like this either. So just the fact that they were trying to get a Cliff Kingsbury, I think it's a positive and maybe it's a, re, a result of, hey, look what UCLA's doing. You can't just hire your friends anymore. Yep. Maybe go out, get somebody that's good at their job. Um, and you know, USC hasn't been doing that. I think what my guess is that it is a, it's a really good situation for him. He would have control over the offense. I think USC saw that and I think they felt pretty confident. I think they underestimated that a fired Texas tech head coach would be getting this much interest from the NFL potentially as a freaking NFL head coach, which like Kyle and I talked about at lunch doesn't seem realistic but that's what we've been hearing you know and uh, that's got to be the uh, McVeigh Mahomes effect right right you see what Sean McVeigh has done offensively at the Rams and you see what Patrick Mahomes is able to do who's a Kingsbury protege I guess yeah I and, guess that's it and Baker that Mayfield really it's a copy it's a copycat league you want to do what's working you know when everyone's running the wildcat or whatever it's like oh I want to do I want to do Patrick Mahomes stuff like well why don't we get his coach you know and I think if it's coming, if that's real, then I think that's where it's coming from. And I, I really feel that USC maybe, maybe didn't know about it. Maybe that was more on the agent side, but they felt, I think they, I'm, I'm pretty certain they felt really confident that this was, deal was going to get done. It still might, but um, there's, there's, he's, he's in demand for a guy that got, you know, five and seven at Texas tech. He's very popular as a head coach. He's, it's like falling up. 
Not only um, five and seven as a head coach, but also a head coach of a team that scored like six points against Kansas State in their second to last game of the year. Oh yeah, that was bad. So there's some like he's got some hiccups there too. This isn't a it's it, grass is always greener, right? I mean, it, it, Clay Hilton looks so bad. You all you know about Cliff Kingsbury is that oh big offense, quarterbacks, scoring, all that. But if you kind of if you if you peel it back a little bit, eh, there's some problems. There's some too, problems yeah. there too. There's a reason he was fired too, right? I mean, this isn't a he. It's a tough place to win, obviously, but at the same time, you know. They should have been doing better than what he was able. To. I mean, they didn't. I believe they had a losing record for three straight years. Yeah, they were. I think yeah, it was thirty-five I, I would, and I, forty or something. That's why. Coach? That's why it doesn't. That's why the the idea that he would all of a sudden be a candidate to be a head coach in the NFL just yeah. doesn't. I, I just am baffled by that whole concept because you know if you're if you're going to be qualified to be an NFL head coach, maybe like qualify for a bowl game. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I think he'll be a head coach again someday, and I'm interested to see what he'll do with a different situation than being in Lubbock. Because um, it's just uh, Mike Leach did it, but Leach is a different cat, and yeah. we might be looking back on the Leach time wherever he is and say, "Wow, he was he was one of the like four best coaches of that entire era." I mean, the things he's able to do with Lubbock and Pullman are freaky and nobody else is able to do it at the level that he is. I mean, Kingsbury's teams the last two years, they were a little bit, if you look at the the stats for it all, they were a little bit better than their record. Not great, but they were both had the profiles of six ish win teams. Um, and they went five and seven each year. Um, but I don't know if you stick him. How about this? If you stick him at Colorado as the head coach, what happens then? Are they a lot better? Yeah, it's hard I think to say. That might, I think that might be um, that. That would obviously be, I think, a better situation from a recruiting standpoint. And then maybe I don't know. You just catch it a little bit differently to turn out the offenses he did. I think that's a pretty good sign. Um, and I don't know. Just never figured it out defensively at Texas Tech. But I'm not. I'm not completely out on him as a coach. I think he's. I don't know. I think he's got potential. I wouldn't hire him for any NFL team though. That seems insane. Yeah. It's, it's one of those classic things like, hey, what can Chip Kelly do with like the L.A. recruiting base, you know, and what would Cliff Kingsbury do with walking into five star receivers all over the place and not, you know, make, you know can you can get those guys, you get some 5'11 slow guy open at Texas Tech. Uh, what can you do with like a six foot two guy that runs real fast? You know, I, mean, I don't know. You wonder what he could do with that. And the flip side is he's not going to have a quarterback as good as he did when he was, that's there true. Yeah. So he's, he's going to have access to, to, to talented quarterbacks at USC. Also JT is obviously going to be there for, for a while still. Uh, he's not as good as any of those guys he worked with recently. No, he benched Baker Mayfield. You know, that's pretty cool. Like, oh, that's yeah, pretty I, awesome. I benched Baker Mayfield for Patrick Mahomes, you know, right. But that, right. I think that's how it worked. Right. I think and that was Davis Webb got benched as well. And he's in the NFL. They've he benched two guys who are in the NFL. <laughs> How many other guys can say so that in, in the span of like a couple of years too? What a recruiting pitch though. Just come, come to my school. I will bench you and you will end up. In NFL. All right. Um, we want to move on to, so the commissioner of the PAC 12, I don't know if you've heard his name before. It's Larry Scott. And he was under fire uh, the week leading up to the PAC 12 championship game. Uh, uh, I don't know, Kyle, do you want to kind of go over what was, going on here a little bit or I don't, whatever. I don't know how you guys want to do this, but there was a four part series um, and it was pretty, uh, it was pretty rough on the commissioner in the PAC 12. Can we not bury the lead? And can we instead just talk about Rick Neuheisel's quotes from these stories? 
<laughs> That's all you cared about was Rick Duhasse. They were uniformly bad. Every single quote he gave in this entire series, this four-part series, and he was quoted in each part, was bad. You know Wrong. what I learned, David? That you you were overly critical of him because if he would have had gloves for all of his players, they would have won a lot more games. That's what I learned. So you, shame on you. Rick Neuheisel is a really good coach. You just didn't give him gloves at UCLA, and that's why they didn't win. Or or um, the Pac-12 <laughs> isn't big enough, and and that's the reason they're losing, and they don't have enough money to get big enough or recruit guys who are bigger. I thought that was a real interesting one that I would have liked to have seen him draw maybe like even a single connective line between how money makes them bigger. Yeah, um, bigger recruiting but, budget means bigger players, apparently. That's a, apparently, like, <laughs> what, do you feed them money? What do you do? <laughs> okay, um, that one was dumb. But UCLA should give him gloves, so that's why he did That's a great point. Yeah, they shouldn't have to share gloves. Like, <laughs> it's like the, the <laughs> Russians in World War, the Russians in World War II. Like sharing infantry field. weapons. All right, here are my gloves. Here are my gloves. You run on the field now. That's good stuff. Well, uh, what, he's terrible. Well, what did anyway. you What did you think about Kyle? No, I thought it was it was excellent reporting um, from John. Um, I think he did a. I thought he hit the right topics. I think he talked to the right people. Uh, I, I, it was a all, all of these things for for those of us who follow it closely. I mean, I think we're um, pretty well known. I mean, it's to put them all together. I mean, a four-part series made a lot of sense. I'm glad he did it. I think it was a, it provided everyone a look at all the issues, or at least a lot of the issues that are facing the conference at the moment. And to have them, you know, come in consecutive days made it a lot, you know, easier to follow. But we're at a point now where just like Larry's made, you know, Larry and, and the Pac-12 as a whole has made so many uh, decisions over his tenure there that haven't worked out in the best interest of fans. So you're at a point now where the, the one unifying thing in the conference is the uh, the dislike or maybe even worse of Larry Scott. I mean, I someone was emailing me something the other day they're making shirts that say fire Larry Scott and they've got wow. all the different school colors all set up. I mean, this is turning into a cottage industry is is how much people dislike this guy at this point. And I, I think a lot of it is fair. I th- I think some of it's unfair. I think some of the there are some issues that because we are where we are in terms of how people view him, they're going to put every issue on him. I mean, I think a lot of the competitive stuff falls more on the coaches and some of the decisions that are being made on campus than it does anything that's going on at the conference level. But I mean, there's a lot, I mean, I don't know what, how many issues you want to get into, but there's certainly um, a lot of them that where the Pac-12 was holding firm on like, listen, we, we feel like this is the right course and, you know, the general public and, you know, fans and some people, administrators on campus are on the other side. Um, I mean, what, I mean, for, for you, what, 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 I guess what points stood out, Ryan? I, you know, I get that the Pac-12 is underachieving, but it's, it's fair because they don't pay their executives as much as the other conferences that do, you know, do well on the practice. Oh, wait, no, that's exactly the opposite. Um, yeah, that's, that was the biggest issue for me is that when, when Larry Scott comes out and says, well, a couple of things. One, he said, we're working like for the Washington state issue. So if people don't know, we'll talk about this too. Washington state was finishing outside of the top 12. So they were not going, besides only two losses, we're not going to get a New Year's Six bid because there's th- teams with three losses ahead of them. And I think it was Washington State's athletic director and Mike Leach went out like campaigning on their own. I think they made a point of they didn't feel like they were getting support from the conference. Larry Scott comes out and says, hey, we're in lockstep with Washington State. That was, uh, yeah, if you want to So, so I was that. on a conference call yesterday with with Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State, and I was asking him about those exact things. And he, and he actually 
didn't say how you outlined it. He actually said that they were happy with the advocacy, advocacy oh, okay. from, from Larry Scott in the conference and that they were in constant dialogue in terms of what the best approach would be to advocate to the committee. So the way it works is each conference commissioner, it might be just the power five. I'm not exactly sure. So anyways, Larry Scott is, is I guess, bottom line. Larry Scott has the platform to pitch his conference's strengths to the selection committee. And he did you know, huddle with uh, those at Washington State in terms of what makes the most sense to pitch you guys as a team that should be ranked higher. And so Chun was actually pretty happy with with the approach that they had in that regard. I mean, it obviously didn't help, right? And right. so as far but as- did they say something? I thought they made some kind of statement on Twitter that they were like, hey, we're we're campaigning. Maybe I misread that or something. Do you know what I'm talking I, I, about? I'm not familiar with that. I'm not okay. saying it didn't happen, but I, I, that didn't come across. Okay. Well, if you didn't desk. see it, then it probably didn't. Okay. And, and, and so the the statement that the Pac-12 released um, yesterday um, was, it was very vanilla. It was very PC. It didn't really say anything with while using a lot of words and basically acknowledged that, you know, we did, uh, we, like you said, lockstep, I think it was actually yeah. the, it was how, how they phrased it with Washington State in terms of how to pitch to the committee. But, it probably wasn't going to matter, right? I mean, you could have made all the points in the yeah. world, but I don't think the committee's watching the games. They're going to come to their own conclusions. They're not going to be swayed by Larry Scott or really anyone, right? Right. Uh, the, I guess the big thing that stood out to me was the when he would talk about being a media company as opposed to, well, you can't compare our rents and you can't compare our salaries. And just, you know, it. I mean, you chose to put this in the most expensive yeah. real estate in the country or the second most expensive market than the country and you know you're making 4.8 million dollars a year it's not like if you were running the sec network that would make a lot more sense you're running the pac-12 network that nobody gets you're going in the wrong direction with all that stuff so it just and he was asked a lot basically his press conference before the pac-12 championship game was all about john Canzano's uh article right i mean all these kind of questions and he was saying this a lot of the stuff wasn't fair and all that um but that that was what stood out to me there was just kind of I don't want to say toned up, but there were, it just didn't feel I'll like... I'll say toned up. Okay, I think toned that's up. fair, yeah. As far as like not recognizing like, hey, you guys spend way too much money. You're not just you. You He gets paid more than every college coach in the mm -hmm. Pac-12, where the SEC commissioner gets paid less than every coach or almost all of them or something. It's like, it's kind of crazy. I mean, what really stands out, I mean, just broadly, every part of the story, every press conference he's ever again, given is that he has the affect of maybe the most arrogant person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> like just the way he talks, the way the words coming out of his mouth, everything he says is just imbued with the sense of arrogance, this, I know better, um, this whole thing. And it's just, it's completely, I mean, misreading the room, obviously like tone deaf, great way to describe it. But I think it's just misreading his entire job security and standing because Look, I, I I don't know if the CEO group, these presidents are that invested in Larry Scott or if they just don't care that much because it's a pittance compared to the budgets they're dealing with. But if fans got angry enough, look, fans should never even know the name of the commissioner of their conference. Like that shouldn't be a thing. Um, and the fact that they do to the point where they where, again, the loudest the fans got at the Pac-12 championship game, as several you know prominent media members noted – was when they were booing Larry Scott. That's not a good look for him. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that look if enough if there's enough negative emails sent to presidents at, of these different universities about what the the conference commissioner. Yeah, I mean their support will go away. What do they care? They're, they're not invested in this. Yeah, I think he's just general 
unlikability. Is that a word? Yeah, no, I think yes. is that a word? Yes. Unlikability. I think that's one of the main issues here because it it seems like every time he addresses the media, well, I know for a fact that he practices beforehand. He's got his his he's got his speech that he always starts with all these at every event, whether it's you know media day, basketball or football, whether it's the Pac-12 title game. He's got his he's got his speech that's that's written out beforehand, and he's clearly practiced it. Yeah, and I, I know for a fact that he has, and it just comes off stale and just. Uppity it's so calculated and, and measured. And, yeah, yeah, and he's so trying to be so careful about the words oh. he uses. And because he's being so careful in how he, in the words he's trying to say, his delivery always just comes off as just odd, right? You're like, yeah. you don't, he doesn't come, he's not a guy who comes across as, oh, this is a leader of a, of a major organization. And he certainly fashions himself as this media, like like a wannabe media mogul, right? right. He, he, he goes on a stage, on the stage, onto the stage. If I can speak correctly, that would be helpful on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> to begin pack, to begin media day for, for football. It's like they have the light shows and all this, like what is going on here? It's very Gavin Belsom from yeah. Silicon yes. Valley. Like some people send me a video of that. It's, it's a combination of Gavin Belsom and, and Michael Scott from the office, like all rolled into one. It just he, he sees himself as this big time executive, but he doesn't have the respect of the people that oh. he is serving. And that's just not a good formula for for your reputation. No. And that video, I think you so they put out that John Gonzano put out the video. It was on YouTube. And I guess the Pac-12 uh, complained and got it taken down. Then it was up on Vimeo. I don't know if it's still there, but I think you, you oh, might have I, tweeted it out. Yeah, I, I put it out there. Oh, you put it. OK, yeah. Um, so. That was odd. Like just to see that, like, hey, everybody, we have. I mean, how tone deaf can you be? Like, you're speaking to all your workers and stuff out there. Everyone, I got some really exciting news. It's gonna be awesome. Okay, uh, I I just bought a Mercedes, or I just bought I bought a Lamborghini, and I'm going to Bali for a vacation. So I, I thought you'd all we should know. It's really exciting time for all of us. And it was just like, what? Oh, you signed your to like a extension or your four point eight million dollar like that's exciting for everybody. Like, no, that was just so terrible. And the, the, was was great about Kanzana's piece was that he reported that the Pac twelve staffers and I actually talked to someone who w- w- felt the same way yeah. is that they they thought this was going to be the Directv yes. uh, like a carriage agreement. So the biggest problem <laughs> right. during Larry Tots Larry Scott's <laughs> tenure has been the inability to get the Pac twelve network on direct TV. And so they've got this big announcement. Oh, it's we're, we're, our, our, our major hurdle is cleared. Like if the PAC 12 network had been on direct TV the whole time, I think that the reputation of the conference of Larry Scott would be completely different, right? Because that was, that's yeah. been, that's where, that's where the problems really began oh, yeah. is I think in theory, yeah, when, if people when could watch the games, they'd be super <laughs> pleased. And, and direct TV, like 2 million people in Southern California, like it's the biggest provider in, in Los Angeles, your biggest market, you know, right. like, so that that's like just not seeing how important that would be. That's the problem. And because that actually, was actually if people if people if people could watch the games, they wouldn't know who Larry Scott is, which is the entire <laughs> goal of a conference commissioner. The fact that that has just been such a running joke the whole time. Oh, I yeah. think it's allowed it to get things where they are now as far as his reputation in the conferences are concerned because you have this like steady joke, right? The whole like for the last several years that's just it, it kind of displays incompetency with your running this media company of which they are, right. which they say they are. Right. So the, the, the fact that you weren't able to get your network on the most important, um, television provider was, right. a, was, a, was a, was a bad way to start. And the you network. get the feeling that in the beginning it was him just being like, they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll give in and just feel like an arrogance. Like I, I, I can guarantee you there was some way they could have done it. 
And he was like, Nope, I'm not giving in. I, I, we, we, we know our product. They're going to, they'll fold. And, and they never did. I just, I feel like it was arrogance at the beginning that probably caused this. When AT&T acquired DirecTV or his merger, I forget exactly how it was structured. Um, they're, they're one company now. I remember asking Larry, does this, how, how will this affect the PAC 12 network in terms of getting it on direct TV? Cause you already, they already had the agreement with, with AT&T does this now that direct TV is under the same umbrella, is that going to help you guys? And he said at the time, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's big for us. So he felt like he wasn't going to commit to it's getting done, but he felt like that was a good step and was, uh, was hopeful that that would help lead to a deal instead. <laughs> like you already mentioned, it went the opposite way. Now they're off you verse two. So now both at and it's almost like direct TV is like, listen guys, Here's the proof that this isn't worth what you guys are paying, and obviously, AT and T Uverse is made the decision based on years of information. Now, at this point, that it's it, that it wasn't worth it to keep it, and then and once that domino falls, you got to start being a little bit worried that oh, what's next? Right, right. is Xfinity next? Is Cox next? Or you know, what are, what what other major cable provider is going to back out? Because if if those dominoes start falling and there's less and less availability than there already is, that's how the Larry Scott. Um, era could eventually end. yeah um yeah i don't when you when you hear him speak it's almost like i just the sense i get is like this guy that maybe was like harvard educated that maybe ran a business of some uppity sport like tennis or something and and just speaks down to everybody that's just the feeling i get when uh i get i guess smartest it's exactly. smartest guy in the room <laughs> yeah yeah it's, i mean uh, it's just and uh, again i gotta talk about the vibe of that video Oof. just so creepy like just seemed like such a creep like just what's like uh, nobody cares about this man anyway send an email Mary scott sucks yeah that, that that's emailable i think you could hey you know we're excited that we're gonna keep going with what we're doing but just have a well, and how how sad is it that those employees in that room were like they hear a big announcement. They're not thinking bonuses. They're not thinking anything personal for them. They're thinking, oh, man, our network might succeed. And he comes at them with like, think about like, oh, these are all like wide eyed optimists. They're thinking about their company. That's great. And Larry Scott's like, yeah, I got uh, I got five more years of like four million dollars a year. Boom. <laughs> I like how he sold it as a this is a reflection of the work you're doing. And it was yeah. trying we'll to totally, <laughs> and then let me list the bullet points of all the accomplishments that I spearheaded here. And you also were part of nice. It was like, if you watch Christmas vacation, it's like, uh, getting the jelly of the month club and you're expecting your Christmas bonus. It was just kind of like this horrible thing, <laughs> yeah. but on video. Um, all right, well, that's, I guess enough. Any more on Larry Scott or we want to talk some bowl no, games? I don't want to talk about that guy anymore. We have a lot. I don't want to keep Kyle too long, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do some questions, but I want to go over the bowl games. We'll just, I'll mention each one. And then we can kind of talk about it briefly, I guess. So the first one is uh, Saturday, December 15th. Um, it's the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on ABC. So December 15th, there's an early one in Vegas at Sam Boyd Stadium. So number 21, Fresno State. They won in double overtime on the blue turf up in uh, Boise. Uh, they're 11-2 on the season. Jeff Tedford completely turned that team around. Had won one game, I think, before he took over two years ago. And uh, absolutely amazing job what he's doing. And then they're taking on uh, Arizona State. And uh, and they're 7-5, and five, finished second in the Pac-12 South. Have you guys any thoughts on this one? Uh, Fresno State's really good, and they'll probably beat them pretty good. Uh, Fresno State's favored by 4.5 right now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. 
And that was, I think that was, it might have been three and a half before the Harry announcement, but Nikhil Harry's not going to play in this game as he gets ready for the NFL draft. So I wouldn't be shocked if that line continues to move Fresno State's direction. Um, yeah, Fresno State's really good. I think they're a team a lot of people are sleeping on still, um, but they're 11 and 2. And Jeff Tedford, uh, if he doesn't want to be uh, in Fresno for the rest of his life, my dude is only like 57. Um, he's got another big time run in him if he wants to go find a Power Five job again. Maybe maybe a Pac 12 team could come calling. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't speak highly enough of, of the job he's done. I mean, Ryan said it one in eleven to <laughs> you know to win. What they would go ten and four last year, and they're what are they eleven and two right now? Eleven and two, yeah. And one and eleven, one and eleven to ten and four, and then eleven and two. That's insane. That is some Scott Frost stuff right there. Yeah. Uh, yep. What I well, I was as I'm losing my train of thought here. I, I mean, I, I I was thinking of him. And it's like, how would he do in Colorado? Like, I actually think yeah. he could. That's. I mean, it's not going to happen. I, I think Colorado was interested, and he's he's pretty happy at Fresno. It's going to take the right fit to get him away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not like he took that. He went to Canada. You know, he was at Cal, if you guys remember, and um, he came back. And I, I used to cover Fresno State, so I talked to some of my contacts there. It, it's kind of actually a little bit of a bummer for me because I I loved Tim DeRuiter, and uh, you know I I liked what he was doing there, and they just kind of completely went uh, south. But um, Jeff Tedford's perfect. I mean, he's a he's a bulldog. He, you know, they say bulldog born, bulldog bred. He is. He's he's a bulldog. I think there might be some health things. I think that's just a job he would likely end up at and just stay at unless there's some perfect situation. It's not like he's using that to, to step for a stepping stone anywhere else. I think he wanted to come home. If there's some perfect situation, he might go, but my, my gut is he's going to stick out, stick it out there for a while. I think so too. I mean, and I've looked into that a little bit. I've kind of like vetted him as a candidate for other jobs. I know there were other schools interested last year. Sure. In him. I know Oregon state w- was interested. Um, he, he passed on that. I think there were a few others. I'm having trouble uh, jogging my memory at the moment, but I, but the one thing I did want to mention about Fresno state, which I think is interesting about this game is there was a point on Saturday where Memphis was up 17 against UCF. And this was before oh, the yeah. Mountain West title game. And it looked like UCF was going to lose that game. Right. Yes. So if that were to have happened, the Mountain West title game would have actually been a play in game for the Fiesta bowl. Wow. So it, it would have been amazing to see Fresno State and Jeff Tedford in the Fiesta Bowl. Meanwhile, Cal has still <laughs> kind of <laughs> slowly trucked along uh, trying to uh, t- to rebound from his tenure there. It's, it shows how quickly uh, quickly things can change. Yeah, that game was up in the snow, too, on uh, in Boise. It was fun so, to watch. Yeah, I didn't watch a lot of it. I watched some of it. But um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I like the people up there. I've had a great time when I was up there, so I'm real happy to see to see them. So they'll play. I think they play, they play USC next year too, I believe the opener. So that'll be interesting. Um, okay. Wednesday, December 26th. So we got some, we got the one game and you got some, you know, week and a half off or so the cheese it bowl. Uh, this one's in Phoenix, Arizona at chase field. It's a, uh, 6 PM Pacific on ESPN. TCU is six and six and they'll be taking on Cal golden bears at seven and five. What do you guys think about this one? This, this one, look, the only number you really need with this one, but don't watch this game. But the only number you really need (laughs) is that the over under is set at 40 and one half points for for one team. Or is it for that for both teams? Total, 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 both teams, both teams. Um, I guess they're predicting, I guess they're predicting that Cal after rebounding from the Stanford loss will not attempt to offense in this game. (laughs) Um, but I, I mean, 
I'm going to watch every minute of this game because I'm sick and you know, you're sick. So you'll probably do the same. Um, but nobody else should not even Cal fans, not even TCU fans. Just let this one go. Kyle going to watch my, it. That, those are my thoughts on this. Game. I'm going to attend this one just because Dave's talking the way he is. Wow. About I'm going to have to go make the trip over there. To do, some to do some scouting for the Pac-12 title game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What better way to spend the day after Christmas? What Is better that way? December 26th, yeah. I don't think yeah. you're going, Kyle. Uh, you're probably right. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I mean, so do you know what the, the line on this game is, David? Even. It's even. even. Okay. It's 40 and a half. They're predicting a 20 to 20 tie. Okay, so... So far, no Pac-12 team is uh, favored yet. We'll see the next Ooh. one. Um, Friday, December 28th, it's the Valero Alamo Bowl. This is in San Antonio, Texas at the fun Alamo Dome. Uh, it's 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific time, ESPN. Number 24, Iowa State. Uh, very hot coach, Matt Campbell. They are 8-4 and four on the season. That's a couple of really good wins. Uh, they're taking on number 13, Washington State, 10-2. and two. Man, you talk about Fresno nearly making the Fiesta Bowl uh, for Washington State to go from something great on New Year's Six to the Alamo Bowl is a pretty pretty big drop. Yeah, Especially I mean, it's opponent. yeah, the, the opponent is the the last domino that fell there. I mean, I do the I mean, I do the bowl projections for ESPN.com, and it looked. I mean, I had kind of I had Wazoo penciled into the Rose Bowl for a long time when it looked like they were the best team in the conference, and then when they beat Arizona to go to ten and one, you're like, oh. You know, here you are. They ranked, I believe, seventh or eighth at the time in the rankings. Oh, that you know, they're they're probably locked in here on a on a yeah. on a New Year's Six game. And you we know, thought they, so, right? And so for them to uh, not only drop out of a New Year's Six, then then it's like okay, you don't get to the Fiesta Bowl. Maybe that game was going to be against UCF, or or maybe the opponent wasn't going to be that great anyways, um, as far as the, the style of play that was going to be. And then you're like, oh well, they're going to play West Virginia, and it's yeah. going to be Leach and Holgerson, Holgerson, <laughs> and it's going to be offensive fireworks. And it's going to be great. And then you find out, yeah, you know, a lot of people were stunned that the Alamo Bowl selected. I was just going to travel. They actually have a really good fan base. It's you know maybe people on the West Coast don't understand that as much that they'll do a good job of, of filling that place. Uh, but this at the same time, just the um, you know, Iowa State versus Washington State. It's it'll be a fun game, but it's not going to draw the the eyeballs. But yeah, uh, it's still I mean, it's still a great game for Washington State to be in. And yeah, it's nice. It just it's just like a little short of what you right. thought. You know, you, you go from oh, we're in the playoff picture. What can happen? Like what you're you're literally trying to map out different results that would have to happen for Wazoo to end up in the playoff. That they were at that point, you know, a few weeks ago. Right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, we're definitely in the New Year's Six, even if we lose. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, after you lost to Washington, you know, you're looking at a Pac-12 title, all these things, like the world is their oyster. And then for it to to fall one step, okay, no playoff, okay, no Rose Bowl, okay, no no Fiesta Bowl, okay, at least we'll have West Virginia, oh, then it's Iowa State, it's, you know, it's a, it's why Washington State fans should be psyched about this game. But there's also, you could tell that there's a little bit of a disappointment just yeah. in how it's slowly, gradually um, declined in, in, I don't know, interest, I guess. What's the spread on this one, David? The spread on this football game is Washington State minus three and a half. Oh, okay. So we got a Pac-12 team favor. That's good. So pretty close. That seems seems about right. Um, just real as an aside, say the Apple Cup goes differently and Washington State wins the Pac-12. So they are 12 and one. Are they ahead of any of the top te- the top six teams that the committee had for the no. playoff? You think they're seven? 
Yeah, because they were well, already, mm. they might have been ahead of Ohio State, maybe, but hard time seeing it. Yeah, I think they, they were they at the time, right? They right, were. but Ohio State beat Michigan. Yeah, so, so they would have jumped them after that. I, I think, think Wazoo would have would have ended up at seven. Looking at it now, they would have been ahead of Michigan, but they would have been a, a behind Ohio State still. I think. Okay, would be my guess. I mean, them and Ohio State could have been flipped. That would have been the only other possible scenario. It would be six or seven. Yeah, um, so it, you know, obviously didn't matter, but the, it would have been something good, a, a much better bowl game. But that sets you up for a real nice end of the year ranking, right? If you climb up to, to seven and then you see some of these teams get like if Notre Dame got blown out, right? Yeah, yeah. You could totally see them. <laughs> then all of a sudden now you're leaping Notre Dame or if uh, oh, and, and you and you win the Rose Bowl, you, you, you leap Ohio State. So at that point, you're looking like, OK, Wazoo finishes, you know, top five, top four in the country. Like that's a that is a win. That is yeah. the best season in school history when you look at the because I still think the AP poll is good for end of the year, right? It's still the poll yes. of record at the end of the year. And while the committee rankings are what matters during the year, it's still the AP poll that when you look back in history of what what really matters. And that would have been, you know, for Wazoo to, to, to close that way would have been really something. 100%. Yeah, USC 2016, they start one and three. They win 10 in a row or whatever, and they win the Rose Bowl. They were number three in the yeah, country. Yeah, that's the perfect like, example. It's like, what? Like, you, you think about that. They that Washington State would have been right there. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't in the playoff. I mean, they weren't in, like, the mix for, uh, you know, could have win the championship, but they would have done enough and teams around them would have lost and they would have moved ahead. And then you would have been able to into in, perpetuity say, Hey, we should have been in the playoffs. Exactly. And we would have, you know, we would have beat Alabama. We didn't get our shot. You you, you, you would have been able to play that card too, which is just totally stupid, but it would have, it, that's what it would have happened. Yeah. Are you guys ready for this platter of garbage? That is uh, new year's Eve. Yeah. So three games on new year's Eve. You want to take these serve it up. Oh my God. All right. So at 11 AM, on CBS, Stanford plays Pitt in the Sun Bowl. That's great. Uh, that'll be awful. That's going to be an awful football game. Stanford's favored by six and a half. Then you have at noon on Fox, Michigan State versus Oregon. Uh, Michigan State uh, is only the second most unwatchable team on the slate in the New Year's Eve games for the Pac-12. We'll get to the most unwatchable next. Uh, Oregon's favored by two and a half in that game. And then in the nightcap, or the late afternoon cap at 4 p.m. on FS1, Utah plays Northwestern Ooh. in the Holiday Bowl. Northwestern is trash. There's <laughs> no reason they are 22nd in the country. Utah's favored by six and a half. Uh, Northwestern, like, really just kind of lucked into winning whichever division of the Big Ten they won. The West? Um, the leaders. Or the leaders, the legends, who knows? Um, they went eight. Really, not only did they win it, they went eight and one. Yeah. They lost to Akron. They, they lost to Akron this year. <laughs> also important to know that Akron just, I, I believe they fired their coach. Did they? Yeah. Oh, wow. They lost to Akron that fired its coach. They lost to a Duke team that lost to, who did Duke just lose to? Yeah, they got, they lost to a Duke team that lost by 52 points to Wake Forest. <laughs> Northwestern is garbage. They, they beat Rutgers by three. Just three points against Rutgers. I'm That's yelling. Crazy. That's oh all right. God. That's good. <laughs> like, that was anyway, these, these are the three. Like, so Pitt is bad. They're a bad division winner. Michigan State is bad. And Northwestern is bad. Like, these teams should barely be bowling. And yet, they're the lineup for New Year's Eve in the Pac-12. Those bull tie-ins are sweet. Yeah, not to, not so good. Northwestern. It's funny if you watch the Big Ten championship game; they were pretty feisty in it. I mean, it looked like a the way Ohio State played against Michigan 
they made them look terrible. Like they, I mean, they scored 62 points or whatever. Like they just destroy Michigan. That was like their only great game of the whole season. So if you want to pick one game, do it against your arch rival. Cause you watch them against, they did all the same kind of mistakes, all the same kind of crap against Northwestern. And then they kind of pulled away at the end. But um, I just felt when I watched that game, I just felt bad for Michigan knowing like, man, they just trucked you. Like they, they put, they brought a plus plus game for you and C minus for everybody else. But for you, they came and played and you just got spanked. Yeah. It was funny. Yeah. Um, okay. So three games on new year's Eve. You got to remember that Pac-12 fans, three games on new year's Eve. Uh, and they start early. Don't make plans. Stay in. Yeah. And then <laughs> after I've given that winning preview for all of them, I mean, I think everyone should watch all these games. I love how you just lump them all in one. You're like, yeah, it's all together, you know? Uh, but then January 1st, the Rose bowl, uh, presented by Northwestern mutual 2 PM Pacific on ESPN. That's of course in Pasadena or Pasadena. You like to say, uh, number six, Ohio state, they're 12 and one versus number nine, Washington, 10 and three. What do you think guys? Mm. Um, well, Ohio State's going to murder Washington, I think. Um, but uh, Washington has – have they, they – they haven't like lost big in a long time now. Um, so this year they lost by five to Auburn, three to Oregon, two to Cal. Uh, without when was last without time giving they up got, an offensive like, touchdown. <laughs> yeah, when was the last time they lost like a big one? Uh, not 2017. Not 2017. I mean, it's probably, it's probably the playoff game against Alabama. Yeah. But even one. that was like 17 points. I mean, yeah, I guess, but yeah. I don't anyway, think, what's, what's I think the spread? this could be it. I think this could be it. Uh, Ohio state's favored by five and a half. It's moved already towards Ohio state. It was, I think it opened at Ohio state minus four. Um, and now it's Ohio state minus four, uh, five and a half. Um, Ohio State's, a, I, I think they've just got a lot more talent across the board. I don't know about Jake Browning throwing against a defense that can move like Ohio State's. I don't think Ohio State's very good defensively, but they do have some fast players. Um, and that's usually not been a good recipe for success for our man Jake. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Ohio State to win this win this one pretty good. What are you, I, Well, the, the factor I think that should be considered also is Chris Peterson has a real good track record when he's got some time to prepare, right? So if there's... Uh, if they had played this, you know, the week after, you know, if they played this next week, I think you're right, Dave. I think Ohio State probably wins pretty handily. But I, I, I do think the time to prepare can be an equalizer in that regard, especially when when Peterson's involved. So, and, and, and Washington's defense is very good. I mean, we were putting together the the All American team earlier today, uh, my colleagues and I, and there was they got three guys who are you know three guys who are certainly worthy of first team All American consideration. Yeah, you got two guys in the secondary. You got Rap and you got Murphy, and then you got Ben Burkirvan, who's got like six thousand tackles this year. <laughs> so they do. I mean, they do have enough talented enough talented on defense to uh, to to limit Ohio State. It's just a matter of you ne- you need some fluky plays, right? You need Byron Murphy to 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 pick a football off of someone's chest and, and take it sixty six yards for a touchdown. You need uh, Jake Browning to be able to complete a pass. You need weird things like that to happen for Washington State or for for Washington to be able to, to 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 stay in this one, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I got to see Ohio State up close last year in the uh, Cotton Bowl. And they just were really, I mean, they're bigger and faster and stronger than USC. I think they're going to be bigger, faster, and stronger than Washington. But like I said, they haven't played. I mean, I watched a bunch of them this year and they just hadn't played a bunch of complete games. They did against Michigan. I mean, they brought it in that one. 
depends how well they play, but I feel like it's just going to be a, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but probably like a seven or 10 point win for Ohio state. But I, don't know, who knows I mean, this is a team, team who gave up over 50 points against Maryland. This is a team who played, a, real, uh, played a really close. <laughs> I mean, they got blasted by Purdue. Yeah. They played a close game with Nebraska. Who's no good. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of really poor showings on Ohio State's side of the ledger too. That makes you think that, okay, this isn't a really for sure thing. I mean, yeah, you, you certainly should be leaning Ohio state, but there's like, they have the resume to indicate that they're capable of, of, of throwing up on the field. As oh well. yeah, completely. Um, but it's going to be urban Myers last game as a head coach, right? Potentially, huh? Maybe all wash. All Washington's got to do is outscore Oregon state's point total and they'll win this game. That's it. Just do better offensively than Oregon State. <laughs> I still because if, if, if they get to thirty, <laughs> oh, I hated that game. Like Oregon State should have covered. It was like a thirty-point spread, and then Ohio State scored like twenty-eight points in the fourth quarter of a blowout. Like, what are you doing? Urban being urban. Oh, it was bad. Um, all right, well, those are all the bowl games. We have no playoff games to talk about again. So, uh, yeah, but we'll see. So seven seven bowl teams. Uh, we'll see if the Pac-12 can improve on the record. I'm assuming, yes, you have to do better than one win. The only way to do worse is zero because percentage. if you win one game, your winning percentage is going to be better anyways. You will be marginally better if you go one and six than when you are one and eight. Uh, Utah always wins their bowl games. So that's like you can almost count on that one, right? Utah just wins. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's like. Kyle Whittingham's like 10 and one or something in a bowl game. He's got the best winning percentage, I think, all time of coaches in bowls with bowl a certain games. whatever the minimum is. He right. just doesn't lose. Well, David, what do you want to do for questions? Should we just do some? Should we, you want to start at the top? Like, I don't know how you want to do this. Let's just start and get through them and see if we can get through them all. When do you have to leave, Kyle? Um, I got plenty of time. He's got plenty of time. Ryan, how's your voice? It's okay. We can. You sound great. All right. Let's just try to knock these out. Do you want to, we'll start at the bottom then. So Christmas comes early. Is that the first one? Uh, I think it was Yane, worst coaching decision. Uh, okay, so we didn't do Christmas. We, come did, we did Christmas come early last time. Okay, I'll do this one then because it's short. Uh, worst coaching decision from Yane. Hey, y'all. What's a worst coaching decision? The Bengals hiring Hugh Jackson as a special assistant or dollar sign UC not firing Clay Helton. Go Bears. From Yanni. Thoughts? I mean, obviously not firing Clay Helton. I mean, hiring a special assistant, that's just like... Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, Why even gets, compare I mean, it? I dismiss the question oh, Kyle. altogether. Yanni. <laughs> Trying to piss off your, your, your listeners. Your <laughs> North rival says... Away with your question. I mean, he's basically he's basically just saying he just was trying to take a shot at USC. That's what that was. Right. That wasn't a, that wasn't an actual question. That was let me tell you how incompetent USC is right now. Shot taken, Yane. We're, we're moving on. That was trash. All right, <laughs> this is from Quan B, USC class of '97. Pac-12 is not garbage. Is the subject line. So we've got a hot take here. We should just let's skip see how, this. Let's tell see tell how me it's full caps. It is. <laughs> All right. I keep hearing you guys and actually pretty much all media saying that the Pac-12 is, quote, poor, quote, bad, quote, hot garbage. You get the They picture. were ferocious. <laughs> exactly. I think that this is really a false narrative, but all completely the fault of Larry Scott. Granted, we have no, quote, elite teams, but I also think that is because it is harder to have a team that is so-called elite because we have so many, quote, good teams, and therefore it is harder to lose zero, one, or two conference games. There are many ways to look at a conference's strength, but I think that our middle and bottom are better than any conferences outside of possibly the SEC, 
and even that is debatable if you take into account the schedule differences. Outside of Oregon State, what team does anyone look at and say that is a guaranteed easy victory pseudo-bye week? Look at what it does to the Pac-12 standings if you remove a conference loss from each team and add a cupcake non-con win. UW, for example, lost two games to the middle bottom, but other conferences' elite teams would have lost a few of those games as well had their middle bottom been as tough. Had their middle bottom been as tough. I like that. Yeah. Um, I saw Oklahoma squeak by all year to teams that are worse than much of the Pac-12. I feel like if a couple of those games were against Cal, Stanford, Oregon, or even ASU, they lose at least one, if not two, more of those nail-biters. What other conference has one, if one of its worst teams like a, with a QB like Tate, a one-time top Heisman candidate? You just don't get any cakewalk weeks off like most other conferences have, and that's why we have more losses. I would love to see the late-season version of UCLA play Oklahoma. Wow, I wouldn't. You would? Um, I, I think they would have more than a puncher's chance. I really, really think you need to watch more Oklahoma. Um <laughs> I just don't think the Pac-12 is that bad. I wish it were better, but when I look at the Big 12 and the ACC as a whole, and not just Clemson, Oklahoma, West Virginia, I don't see a whole lot. Well, thank you for that, Quan. Um, I think he's got uh, he. I think it's a he. Um, I think he's got a, a small point, which is I do think the middle of the Pac-12, especially this year, was pretty strong, and compared to like a similar percentage of each conference's middle. It was comparative. Um, I think the SEC is still stronger, but I think it was probably better than the middle of the Big Ten. I mean, I, I would take probably six or seven Pac-12 teams over Northwestern, and they won a division in the Big Ten, um, and better than large parts of the ACC. Uh, but bad top end, and Oregon State is pretty bad. I mean, Colorado is pretty bad. Um, I mean, those are just kind of bad teams. UCLA was pretty bad. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's how you want to evaluate a conference, right? It's, 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 if you are evaluating it top to bottom, I don't think anyone says that top to bottom, the PAC 12 is, is the worst because I think there's, everyone acknowledges the parity that exists in the conference. I, I think, you know, six to 10 or five to nine, that range is all, the PAC 12 has always been very strong. I, I think why the perception exists is that the teams at the top just don't, compare right so the point that he made and correct me if i was if i'm wrong is that it's it's tougher to go through the pac-12 than other conferences like yeah but alabama is going to run through the pac-12 clemson's <laughs> going to run through the pac-12 i mean notre dame they struggled with usc but i mean i think notre dame would have had a pretty easy time winning the pac-12 this year as well and oklahoma yeah they want to see them play ucla well come on let's be real they won what was the first the, Dave, what was the score the first time? I, they I believe it was 49-21 was the final. Right, and you kind of felt like Oklahoma watching that game that UCLA played pretty well, right? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, no, <laughs> we walked away and we're like, damn, it could have been worse. Going. Right, so. It, it would be worse, I think, if they played again. And then you saw Washington, you know, a couple weeks later go to the Rose Bowl and, and struggle with UCLA. So if we're trying to play the, you know, we're trying to use the transit of property here and, and evaluate those sort of things. There's not, there's there's very few this year, and I've looked for them that, that bode well for the Pac-12. Um, it, it's just that those teams at the top carry so much weight in terms of what the national perception is, and so I think that's why, um, that's how the conversation starts. And then when you have your your conference champion, Washington, they lost to Auburn to start the year. 
Auburn had the 10th best record in the SEC. You can't have your conference champion lose to the number 10 team in another conference and expect no. to have the same sort of respect. So that, that's just the reality of it. And if Washington had won that game by uh, you know a few scores, yeah, maybe you have a, a little bit of a leg to stand on. It's it's but it's you know it's you know I don't want to say it's embarrassing, but it's definitely not a great showing when you're when your conference champ doesn't show well in the most important game bar none during the non-conference. And I, I think the conference was only three and six against power five opponents during non-conference. So you got to win those games if you're going to be taken seriously. Cause if they say you had gone, you know, eight and one, seven and two, nine and zero oh, against power five conferences, uh, you know, in, in non-conference, then you could say, yeah, we're all, our, our parody is fine. Look, we all win our games outside. And then when we get in to conference play, we're beating each other up, but you got to win those non-conference games to, to be able to, for that argument to hold water. Yeah, that's, it's big out of conference. You know, USC gets trucked by Texas. Uh, you know, Auburn wasn't that good. That was the big showdown and stuff. Washington should have wiped the floor with them, you know, when you look back on it. Like, they just weren't that good. Um, so that's the stuff you got to do. That that We knew from the very beginning that was going to hurt the perception of the conference, and it did. And and for a Washington State to be 13th, um, it's tough, you know. And then, But the Pac-12 has some own self-inflicted wounds, too. Should Washington State look have lost to USC if they officiate that game correctly? Is it gonna you're gonna have a different result? Um, still with some of the back to back, you know, road games and bye weeks for a rivalry game. Like there's still some bad scheduling stuff too that doesn't help either. So I think I, I think that the eight versus nine game conference schedule is is a valid point of discussion too because the conferences that have eight game conference schedules and have that late game, you know, we're talking about the SEC here of that late game patsy. Um, to kind of ease into to rivalry week, it, it, it artificially inflates some of these records. I went through this earlier today, actually, and looked at the overall records of every team in the Pac-12. And that's obviously easily accessible. If you added six wins to each of the bottom um, six teams, if say you were able to go schedule, add a, add a patsy to your schedule or a, or a you know group of five FCS, whatever it is, just to, to, to schedule a win in there, all of a sudden you have now, so on the bottom half, like right now it's, uh, Cal seven and five, USC five and seven, Arizona five and seven, Colorado five and seven. If all of a sudden it's Cal eight and four, USC six and six, Arizona six and six, Colorado six and six, and you have uh, all of a sudden you have ten bowl eligible teams. I think that all of a sudden you know it it, it would affect the perception a little bit, right? If you have yeah. t- if you have ten bowl eligible teams, that says something about the conference. But it, they don't. They go to nine. And as a fan of the Pac twelve. I think people should want the nine game schedule. I think it's more interesting, but as far as um, what it does to set themselves up competitively when compared to other conferences, I, I definitely think at this point there's enough of a sample size to know that the eight game schedule is more beneficial. Joey Kaufman from the OC register tweeted this the other day that all of the conference champions from power five uh, from power five conferences that have been left out of the playoff. They all came from conferences that played nine game schedules. Yeah. No power five conference champion that plays eight games has ever been left out. Kind of crazy. Um, we have a voice. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just move on. Uh, yeah. Do, oh, do you think, do you think the Pac-12 should? Like, I think they should. I think we talked with like John Willard before. He's like, oh, that's never going to happen. But I think you need to be more competitive and you should go to eight games. But I, I think I've switched on this. I, I used to, th- I used to be fine with nine. I used to think that if you're good enough, you're going to 
you're gonna you're gonna win the games, right? I, I just felt like if you deserve to be in the playoff, you're gonna win the games that you need to. If you're if if you're losing games during the year, and that's gonna cost. If you're gonna win the national title, you should be able to win those games, right? That's kind of where I was coming from before. But now when I thought about it and I've looked at see how it's affected teams, like right now, you know, it costs three teams a bull berth. Yeah. hypothetically, right? If you, if you added those ones that I just talked about, that's and money practice, that, a lot of all stuff, all of that stuff. And so it, it elevates the, the entire conference, um, as a result. And so I, I think they should seriously look at it. I'd like to do a little bit more research. Um, they've, t- they've said that they haven't seriously considered it, but I think that it, we've come to the time now where, um, if they don't, um, if they don't reconsider, they should soon. And David Shaw's made the point for, for several years that it just needs to be, it just needs to be the same. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's eight or nine, it just needs to be the same. Yeah. Did you care? Yeah, I would say the only main reason to do it, I think, would be for the playoff purposes and mostly for the perception issue. I don't think it would fix the conference strength. Like, I think no matter what, the Pac-12 is... But this year, I mean, even if they played eight games versus nine, I don't think it would have changed the complexion of what the teams actually are at their base level. Right. Um, the thing with the money is, is tricky for me because if you do replace um, a conference game uh, with Patsy... Um, whatever that means for the West Coast, uh, probably like a lot of Sac State or just some FCS score or whatever it is. If you do that, you end up um, probably dropping a good bit of revenue from your from your home slates, which, you know, in the SEC, they're going to fill up a stadium. Even this year, though, they didn't quite, but you're going to mostly fill up a stadium even if you're playing Nickel State or whatever. In the Pac-12, I that's a little bit more of a question mark. Um, so I don't know if making a third tier bowl at six and six necessarily will make up for the revenue. So the main issue for me would be, does it change the complexion in the committee's eyes? And I think at this point you would have to say it does because the ACC not being strong, has the ACC been left out of a playoff yet? I don't think they have. No, no. Cause they're eight game. They have the eight game conference schedule. They've not missed. Yeah. Any. So, right. So they haven't. Um, so there there's, I don't think there's a disadvantage to being eight to to being down to eight um, in terms of the playoff picture, and I think that's got to be the priority if they actually want to be a competitive conference going forward. We had a uh, voicemail question. I'll play for you guys now. Hey guys, this is Ernesto from Temecula. So it's Tuesday, and SC is firing all the uh, coaches and bunch of uh, people. I'm curious what what coaches do they need uh positions and support staff would you be able to go in detail and break down what they're letting go and also what they need to replace and are there any that they're actually keeping that they should be letting go uh be interested in uh hearing your comments thanks guys great job on the podcast um you want to just do that real quick or we well, don't... you could probably handle that one okay so uh they fired uh three coaches uh, that Tuesday, they fired one earlier, Neil Calloway, their offensive line coach. Um, they had already brought in Tim Drevno to coach running backs, but he was really an offensive line coach. So, so right now he's just moved over. They've kind of replaced him. It really left that firing left a running back uh, position open, not an offensive line coach position. Often, uh, the biggest name was T. Martin was fired. He was the offensive coordinator. He had already been demoted. wasn't calling the plays anymore. He's also the receivers coach, so they don't have a receivers coach right now. Uh, they, the other two assistants they fired were Ronnie Bradford, who coached defensive backs. He wasn't real big into recruiting, um, and so they, they moved on from him. He wasn't a big recruiter at all. And then uh, Kenichi Udeze, which is kind of interesting, he's one of the younger coaches, uh, was a good recruiter, 
coach's defensive line. It was his, really his first uh, posi- position job. He was like a strength assistant and he played at USC and was an NFL guy that had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh, survived that. So um, yeah, so he's gone as well. And then uh, the, their first time uh, quarterback coach, uh, Brian Ellis actually left for Western Kentucky. Clay Helton's brother, who was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee under Jeremy Pruitt, Tyson Helton was going to get fired there, but he ended up leaving and get the head coaching job at Western Kentucky. Brian Ellis went back to him. They were, they worked together there before. So USC basically has uh, five spots open. The big name we talked about already was Cliff Kingsbury. If they bring him in, I think they're not going to make other hires or potentially other firings until they secure him or somebody else. Cause I think you don't want to hire like a running backs coach or maybe they can get more of more guy, more guys, uh, you know, depending on what kind of scheme you're running. Like if they bring in an air raid, I'm not sure Tim Drev knows, uh, coached offensive line for an air raid. So they might change that out. So I think it's still all of it. Ernesto is still up in the air. Um, we'll see. We should know something this week on Cliff Kingsbury one way or the other. And then if that, however that domino falls, then I think you can kind of move on from there. But I, I, I don't feel, I talked about to Kyle about this. Uh, you want to, you go five and seven, you bring your coach back and Lynn Swan talks about changing the culture and scheme and discipline and all that. I don't think they've done enough already. I think, hiring a guy like cliff Kingsbury would do a lot, but they still, I think there's still some, some turnover that would have to happen on the staff. If you want to achieve those goals, uh, that you set. So hopefully that answers the question. All right. You ready for uh, Travis? Yes. All right. It's subject line an ode to clay Helton. Dear POC. I'm a UCLA fan, but I've been listening to the Peristyle podcast recently. Oh, Freud. It's fun. UCLA somehow has Chip Kelly, and in a fantastic turn of events, Dan Guerrero has imbibed an enduring amount of polyjuice potion and has transformed into Lynn Swan. <laughs> USC fans, this is what it's like to be a UCLA fan. I wouldn't wish it on anyone except USC fans. Anyway, I think there were there are numerous reasons to retain Clay Helton. I will list them. One, he's an inspiration to bald and partially bald people. Mm-hmm. Two, he's an inspiration to pear-shaped people. <laughs> Three, he's an inspiration to offensive coordinators whose playbook consists of a single pass play, throw the ball to the enormously talented receiver and hope it works out. Four, he is an inspiration to every other single coach in the Pac-12 because he has managed five wins with a deeply depleted roster of a bunch of no-names. Five, he is a singular inspiration because he exists and he is coaching at USC. I'm so fortunate that every week during the fall, I get to experience his coaching acumen. What a dude. Three questions. Ryan. USC is unequivocally the best football job in the Pac-12, yet the administration there has never hired a qualified candidate during my lifetime. Pete Carroll worked out, of course, but no one suspected he'd accomplish what he eventually did based on his initial resume. Even his hiring was a gamble. What's impeded USC from hiring a proven coach? Is it just a tendency to inbreed? Good question. And just to be clear, his number four, because I got a weird look from Kyle, he put sarcasm at the end of that. So he didn't mean that there was a depleted roster or anything. Uh, See, I thought people would pick that up. <laughs> Did Kyle, I react? You, you had Did a, I react that way? I don't had, even. You had a weird was, look. After. Okay. okay. So I was like. Maybe I saw a bird out the window. <laughs> uh, the, the beautiful view you have of the power plant from uh, our studio here. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think Pete Carroll, it's funny, uh, growing up in New England, my dad was, uh, you know, followed the Patriots a lot. And he he told me, like, when they hired him, like, you know, I think it's going to work in the NFL. They don't really like him. I mean, it's going to work in college. They didn't really like him in the in the NFL, the rah-rah stuff. He said, I think that's going to work in college. And it was it was true. I mean, it did. 
Um, he wasn't their first choice or anything, but I think that was his resume of being a head coach in NFL for three years is better than the resume. You've seen the more recent hires for USC, but it's, I, I feel like this is an organization that's it's just like this group of people that know that they're, they're in a good space, but they, they're not the best at what they do. And if you bring someone in really good, they're going to figure out that you're just not the people around them aren't that good. And you bring them in and they, they would, if you brought in like a real athletic director, they would most likely have to make a whole bunch of changes and clean house. And I don't think that's what people want right now. So you've had three athletic directors in a row that were former football players have never done the job before. And all of the coaches have been people that are kind of like happy to be there uh, as opposed to I'm going to come in there and kick butt there. You know, Clay Helton was like, oh, my God, you're going to make me the head coach. Like, no, you know, if you were him, you would take the job 100 times over, of course. Uh, but there's they've been hiring those kind of people where no one that has power because I don't feel like it's a well-run organization. You bring a powerful person in, they're going to see that and they're going to make a bunch of changes to it. And I think the people, the little fiefdom that's running it right now doesn't want that. I don't know what you guys thought. No, that seems right. I mean, I think the the athletic director issue is probably the The probably needs to be addressed more than anything because there's a reason Clay Hilton has the job, right? It's because you know Pat Hayden decided he he should that he deserved it, and then Lynn Swan decided to keep him. So, if for all the uh, for all the the heat Clay Hilton takes from from USC fans, I think it's probably better directed. Um, a little bit higher on the org chart. Yeah, and, he, and and honestly, probably even beyond Swan too. And I think that's the the it really goes who who's 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 making those choices, who's hiring these guys who are not qualified to run uh, an athletic department. It, the, an athletic director is a very complex job where you need to le- lean on a lot of work experience working in the industry to have a chance to do it well. I mean, there's obviously some exceptions, but but Lynn Swan has certainly didn't have the resume no. to deserve. Um, the job at USC and, and whether it's he's actually run the department or it's, you know, Steve Lopes or someone else who's really running the day to day, you know, can be debated or looked into. But man, it's uh, USC fans uh, deserve better at the top. It's funny. You say he didn't have the resume. I don't think he ever had a resume like he probably never had to make a resume his entire life. He kept getting hired by people who wanted to be in his orbit. Yeah, right? there's it's like him, Pat Hayden. I think you can f- hire a former football player who's run like organizations and manage people and stuff. They haven't that like sitting on a board and playing golf with people is not running an organization. You know, that's a completely different thing. And if you were hired because they thought you could raise money, like you better deliver on that thing. Right. You better be such a good fundraiser that you don't have, you can't even consider the alternative because of what you are worth to the department in that role. And if you're, if you're not doing that, then there's no reason to justify yeah. it. There's no, I think no that's why he was hired. It. And now like, no one wants to give any money because they're all mad of his decision. So it's really weird. It's kind of ironic that you hired him for fundraising and that's what's going to suffer the most. Um, And then Travis's question continues. Dave, I'm sorry for saying you look like a dwarf. It was a shoddy (laughs) comparison. You're much taller than a Tolkien type dwarf. Okay. So I looked this up. A Tolkien dwarf is about four and a half feet tall. So that is true. I am much taller than that. Is that a J.R. So Tolkien? Is that the author? Is he talking about like his, yeah, his, his version R. of it? Tolkien. Yeah. Okay. His his version of a dwarf is about four and a half feet tall. I've I've read 
of other dwarves that can be much, much taller. <laughs> but uh, a Tolkien dwarf is four and a half. Okay. I'm sitting here uh, looking at the, the Harry Potter books in Ryan's studio, and I'm thinking of Gobby the elf. It's like house oh, elf. That's kind of what yeah, pops up Very small. Yeah. Well, and, You're much and taller than him, Dave. My, my daughter actually looks a little bit like a hobbit, so there is, <laughs> there is a little bit of that. Um, what? Hobbits are cute. They're little cute little creatures with the curly hair. Slight double chin. Now picture you know? your daughter with a beard. I don't like that. That's not great. No, so <laughs> hobbits hobbits don't have facial hair. Come on. Oh, they don't? Okay. Yeah, come on, man. All right. Um, still, Dave, which true freshman UCLA football dudes are you most excited to see develop into their sophomore year? Ogbonia and Mafi are mine, but I'm curious to hear your assessment. Um, those are definitely two, uh, two big-time defensive tackles for UCLA who showed some real flashes in year one. Um Honestly, Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, he was coming on before his uh, injury in the Washington and Cal games, and looking back at those, those might have been two the two best performances UCLA got this year from quarterbacks. So I think a lot of the stuff about you know Wilton Spate, you know, should have been the starter all year, and yada yada yada. I, I think that might be a little bit overblown. He obviously closed the year pretty strong, but. I would have been interested to see what Dorian Thompson Robinson did with a full year where he didn't get hurt because his development arc was pretty good through midseason. Um, and then he asks, how do you think Mike Leach would do at USC? I mean, I think he'd do gangbusters. I think I think they'd be a national title contender year in and year out. The, I, I, really? I, I, I said it earlier, but the way they were able to do things, at the way he was able to do stuff at Texas Tech and Washington State if you gave him real talent for the first time ever, I don't know. I think he'd be crazy. I think he'd kill it also. Really? And the the, the 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 I guess the word on Leach as a candidate at USC is like, oh, he wouldn't fit in with the uh, USC community. You're like that's fine. Like if you want well, to, if you, you want to fit in, like <laughs> Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian right. fit in with the community and lose a bunch of games, like you can go ahead and do that. If you want to win ball games, you hire a football coach who can would yeah. do that. And and Mike Leach is good. I think he's proven at this point that he's going to win anywhere, right? If you can win, if you can take Texas Tech to nine or ten straight bowls, whatever it was, and to win, I think he went nine, nine, eight, ten right. the last four years at Washington State after after inheriting a program that was in really bad shape. Um, I, I think that speaks um, an, enough about his career. Yeah, he had like at Texas Tech that one year, or there was maybe a couple of years. He had Graham Harrell, and he had. Michael Crabtree and Danny Amendola, like all on the same, like that was pretty, I mean, that was some pretty good talent right, there. But, but Graham Harrell wasn't, no, Graham, okay. Graham Harrell wasn't an NFL guy. He never got a he, shot. He, he, no, he, 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 was, he was, he was Graham Harrell because of Mike right, Leach. That's okay. So many yeah. of these guys are who they are because of Leach. I mean, Michael Crabtree, I think obviously that, that turned out in the NFL, but man, I mean, the, what he, look, having like an occasional NFL guy, if you're a big time coach, I'd love to see like the correlation there because I think, what will happen is that like a lot of less successful schools, look, Danny Amendola might never have turned into an NFL player if he wasn't in an offense that sure. got him a bunch of numbers. Um, so I think there's always a little bit of talent at any kind of power five school. But what Leach does is he turns it into, wow, holy crap, Gardner Minshew should be in the top five of the Heisman voting. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, Luke Falk, uh, Luke Falk didn't have any other scholarship offers. He, he walked on at Washington well, State it, it, and then got, like, and then either, I don't know if he was drafted or he was picked up as a free agent, but he's like on an NFL roster right now and he didn't, wasn't wanted by anyone coming out of high school. And, and here's what I would say about Luke Falk is, I love the guy, I think he's super tough. I think he's a bad quarterback, like just okay. And he was what, like a 70% passer for Leach? 
Like, yeah, he didn't improve at all during his time. No, he was the same State. guy from freshman year on. Yep. Maybe even a little bit worse. And, and and I think you could really make that statement about Falk after seeing what Minshew was able to do this year, right? Yeah. I mean, Minshew was well, so much better almost yeah. from the almost from day one. And I think his mobility and we had, it's a completely different discussion. But the, I guess the point is, he won with Falk. He won with Minshew. He wins yeah. with everyone. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you guys. Like, you you could play QB for him. Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, I think he could win at USC. If I was a USC athletic director, I would want to interview him. I'm just not sure he would want to be in Los Angeles. That's that's the stuff. Like I don't know, it would be he wouldn't fit from the USC point of view. I don't know if he would fit from his point of view. You know I, what I, I mean? think he would take it. I mean, he, he went to, he went to law school at Pepperdine, so he's lived here before, and I think he lived in like Thousand Oaks or something like that. Okay. So he's familiar with the area, and it's not like I mean, no, it'd be awesome. I, went, I mean, I went to Washington State. I know what it's like to live in Pullman. And I know what it's like to live in L.A. And I don't think you would have a tough time convincing right. Mike Leach to, to live in L.A. There's there's enough pockets of, of of space here that he could find something that works for him. And it's not the fishbowl like if he took the Tennessee job. Like you're still, yeah, it's like a kind of a cool college town, but it's like everything and and every you know and anything is is what it wouldn't be that way at USC. It'd be important, but it's not like that. Like people are living and dying by it, you know. The like Chip Kelly appeal, right? The, the, yeah, the it's appeal like, of L.A. for Chip. It's Kelly, big so. deal, but it's. Not that big of a deal, I guess. All right. Um, next one's along, so I'll just skip to the question parts and, and read it. Um, did you read the, his last shot? Did, did you see his last part or no? Oh, yeah. yeah sorry. He said, uh, you guys are great. Next time a Pac-12 team makes the playoff, I'll buy you shots. See what I did there. It'll never happen. So I'm being clever. <laughs> Larry Scott and terminal impotence forever. Cheers. All right. Thank you, Travis. All right. This one's from Justin. I'm just going to skip to the questions. He's asking about the Gonzano article. Uh, we already provided our general thoughts. Um, he also asks, one of the posters on the UCLA board made a claim that Scott has his outrageous salary because when he was first hired, he came in and was, and was actually able to negotiate some very positive changes for the conference. But since then, he has just failed to respond to being passed by the other conferences. Do you have any idea if this guy's right or not? Sounds right. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the, the first deal was great. Like it was a, he wanted a $2 billion media deal and stuff, but it was 12 years and it was a deal that you had ESPN and Fox agreeing on. So if you're making a deal and somehow you get Coke and Pepsi to be on board, you're probably not getting the best of it. And I think it looked good then, but it was very short sighted, I think. And it probably got him paid very well. Yeah. What do you think, Kyle? I think that's fair. I mean, I think the media landscape is changing so quickly, too. So, like, it doesn't look good now, but also in three years, who knows how it's going to. How they're they're definitely things. banking on owning I think all that's, the rights. That's the gamble, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the Pac-12 has acknowledged that it's it hasn't worked out the way they had hoped, but I also think they really do believe that in the future they're set up um, to do well. And but it's a gamble; it's not a sure right. thing. I think it's do you take the sure thing and, and part with a partner with a network, or do you go off on your own and do what they did? And they went for it, and you know they're either it's they're, it's either going to pay off really well at the end, or they're going to keep trending the way they are right now, which it's is so, in the wrong way. So many millions of dollars behind all the other it's so crazy you know i will yeah. say this though about the the difference in 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 revenue generated versus the other conferences it's like it should it should be behind yeah there's just not enough interest in pac-12 sports pac-12 yeah. football compared to the other ones it's a matter of like what and like i don't think any of us here know what the right ratio should be if say say the sec is should be getting say let's just say 50 million right what should the pac-12 if, if all things are equal what would a good deal look like for the pac-12 i mean it's maybe what 40, 35. I mean, it's not, they, they, they should be behind them just because their product right. isn't as valued by the consumers. Yep. I agree. And then the final bit is just about how he wants to be CEO of a multimedia company instead of a conference commissioner, which I think we've all stated and agree with. Nice. So 
Good stuff from Justin. All right. And we got another Justin recruiting in USC, LA high school football. Ryan, a few weeks ago, you joined uh, Dan R's podcast to talk about USC situation. He's talking about Dan Rubenstein on the solid verbal, which I did not mention the podcast of champions. And David got mad at me for that. So I, I apologize. I only got mad at you because it was brought to my attention. I didn't listen. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to you talk about USC. What do I care? Uh, Dan, I'm not mad. Dan I'm made not a, mad. I'm actually laughing. Dan made a great point about USC recruiting, and you didn't address it directly. Here's a second chance to address the issue of USC recruiting. Okay. Dan talked I'm about- getting called out, Ryan. Uh, You're getting geez. called out here. For, for what I said on another podcast. So this is weird. Okay. Uh, Solid Verbal does a great job. We love him too. Uh, Dan talked about USC getting so many blue chip uh, LA based recruits. And now by getting so many of these recruits, they know each other and are friends playing at USC has a high school football vibe rather than a transformative college experience. Uh, And with Clay Helton running such a loose program, these kids are not pushing their boundaries, uh, maturing and becoming uh, too comfortable in their situation. Thus, not coming close to reaching their potential potential. Additionally, should USC start evaluating a kid's character slash work ethic slash love of recruiting rather than just raw athletic ability that the star system reflects. For example, I see a kid like uh cornerback, Chris Steele. Uh, he's from uh, uh, St. John Bosco uh, and see someone who decommitted to experience more of the recruiting process, perhaps wanting more of the love and attention from recruiting when Washington, Stanford and UCLA aren't recruiting this guy at all. Isn't that a red flag? Uh, when USC, when will USC just finally say, let's stop recruiting someone who may love recruiting over just football? I believe USC has too many players like this in their program. So these questions too, but I guess we'll talk about that real quick. Um, I think sometimes there's a guy that you just assume is going to go to USC and the other schools won't recruit him because it's like, yeah, he's, he's Sarah guy. He's going to end up at USC. They don't recruit him as hard. Maybe that's some of that. Um, but I think Pete Carroll said it best. I think I talked about this on that show too. It's less about recruiting at USC because you are the big dog. Like you, you're going to get the majority of the five-star guys almost no matter what, unless you're just absolutely awful. It's more about evaluating. You have to be able to evaluate and make sure you're picking the right guys. And they don't, you know, it's not like they get every, every guy, you know, they overlook some guys too. Like uh Kevon Thibodeau is like the number two player or something in the country, according to 24 seven sports. Uh, but he doesn't seem to really fit. I don't know. He just kind of, has, he's like a tweener sort of guy. They haven't really recruited him very hard and uh, he's getting recruited by everybody in the country, you know? So there's at least one example of someone that's, they're not star chasing like, well, he's local. He's a five-star. We got to get him, And they're, they're not really pushing that hard for him. But I, I, I think overall it can be the sort of high school feel. You do need to mix in, you know, high level guys from other areas because there are so many guys that played, in the CIF playoffs against each other or on the same team and everything. I, I could see that, um, you know, sort of happening. And I think as a head coach, if you see that, you have to kind of address it. And I think you can fix that. Even if you still get all the same guys, you can fix that culture, but that's just something that I get. I don't think has really been addressed at USC. I think it's more about instilling the culture. Once the guys get there, like you should go after the most talented players available, right? Regardless of where they are, or who they are, or who they're friends with, you should get, you should go after the best players available. As long as they don't like hit their girlfriends or something. Uh, yeah. Obviously there are some, <laughs> there, there are some other issues that factor into that equation as well. Thank you, Ryan. But, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy into the idea that like, you know, you shouldn't go after a guy because uh, and characters is certainly part of the evaluation, but yeah, I don't know. USC it, is, 
USC has a pretty good track record of, of having success recruiting guys from Southern California. Yeah. And if you, if you see a guy that's five stars and you don't really like them, I mean, that happens sometimes. There was a dude, uh, Dave, who was a guy that went to uh, Notre Dame? He was a big receiver that USC and UCLA both just kind of passed on. He ended up going to Notre Dame. Uh, and I loved, I've watched him on all the seven on seven stuff. I'm like, man, this kid's really good. And you US, mean all Jones? The no, Gorman guy? no, it was a, no, it was a local kid. Uh, I think it was from the Inland Empire. Crap. I can't remember his name, but it was like a tall wide receiver played for B2G on their Oh, set. McKinley, McKinley. Yeah. Uh, Javon, McKinley. Javon McKinley. Yeah. And like, I would like watch him making all these catches and stuff. I'm like, I'd ask Gerard, like, why aren't the, why isn't USA recruiting? I'm like, yeah, they don't really like him. I'm like, really? And then I think UCLA was kind of in on him and they backed off too. And he ends up going to Notre Dame. You're like, I don't know if he's done anything there, but. Um, he, ha- he has pointedly not. Um, I think the knock <laughs> on him was that he would, didn't love football. Okay. So, so there's ex- definitely examples of that. Like guys that I would watch in seven and seven think are awesome. They're four or five star guys and, and USC and UCLA, you know, like, eh, we're not, you know, so I think that's part of their job too. Yeah. Uh, questions. Do you believe, Oh, I guess there was questions, about. I think I answered the questions about this. So, um, yep, you're good. Thanks, Justin. He gave a, like, right. a, lot, a big intro and then specific questions about it. So hopefully we addressed all your questions, Justin. Yeah, you're good, Justin. All right, this is Bernie. Just finished listening to the USC recruiting podcast from late November. I was bothered by Gerard's comments on the UCLA coach's approach to recruiting. Gerard is obviously biased towards SC and has a disdain for anything Bruin. But the words and terms he used seemed exaggerated and personal. He talked about Kelly's staff not having a warm personal touch and a lot of recruits not feeling the vibe with UCLA. Ryan and Dave, is Kelly's recruiting approach a negative in your opinions? Are recruits being turned off by not being pursued more aggressively by UCLA? With recent crystal balls in favor of the Bruins for Sean Ryan and uh, Satoa Laumea, two offensive linemen, it would seem to contradict, contradict, contradict is not a word, contradict Gerard's opinion. After all, he said during the podcast, Ryan was a, quote, a must-get. For SC. Thanks, Bernie. Um, so everything we just talked about with USC and what Kyle was saying about, you know, recruit for character, but you don't need to, like, go crazy with it. UCLA is going full hog on recruiting <laughs> for character um, and doing all of that stuff. And they want guys who buy into being all business football. And when you're recruiting a lot of L.A. kids or people who are interested in going to L.A. for college, um, a lot of guys... Eh, they're coming to LA for different reasons or coming to <laughs> big time programs in LA for other reasons, not entirely, you know, the other reasons, but they factor in, um, with UCLA, they're trying to filter those guys out early because they have had a lot of attrition at UCLA over the years where it seems like a heavy rate of the big time guys who end up at UCLA, um, don't actually end up doing a whole lot on campus or they end up washing out for whatever reason. Um, and uh, Kelly's trying to build something a little bit different. So I am not shocked at all that Gerard is reporting that because that is probably very true for a lot of recruits in the LA area who are used to a certain type of thing. And, you know, the people around them are used to a certain type of thing from UCLA that they are not getting. Um, and I don't see that changing. I think Chip Kelly has a defined idea about how he's going to approach recruiting. And he wants guys who are bought into being all football. And uh, I don't know that that's going to fit well with a lot of the different seven on seven groups and whatnot going on in recruiting these days. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know enough about it. To, I mean, I, I trust whatever you say, Dave, I don't know. Like Gerard, like when Gerard said that, I mean, that's not, 
That's the, nothing I know firsthand or anything, but. I mean, I don't follow recruiting that closely. There's just not part of my role. But I, I will say that I, I did speak with a Pac-12 assistant coach a couple of weeks ago. And one thing that he passed along that stuck with me was he said, I have barely seen any, and he recruits Southern California, he said, I've barely seen any UCLA or USC coaches out of big games this year. It seems like they're more and more want, they're evaluating guys based on tape. And so I don't know how that really factors into this oh. discussion, but it's that, and that's one yeah. note to pass along from a from a Pac-12 coach. Well, and that's part of the thing is also they don't want. I mean, they're they're self filtering, and I read it. I'm pretty cynical about it, and I read a little bit of it as eh, a little bit of laziness. Come on, uh, but I think during the season they also want to weed out people who want a lot of attention. So how do you do that? Don't give them a ton of attention. Uh, <laughs> I think they, they've got a handful of guys they're recruiting super, super hard. And then I think they've got a lot of other guys that they're recruiting, but at their own pace. Um, and it's picked up now that the season has ended. But during the season, there wasn't a whole ton going on. Um, and I think they were focused very much on the business of football. And then recruiting has its time. But I don't know. It's, it's a completely new and different and weird strategy. And I'm interested to see if it works. All right, we got one from Scott. Questions and an idea. We love your ideas. No, we don't. Um, just of course, of course, any ideas are great. Wow, what a dick Ryan is. I know, just kind of whatever. Uh, I'm a real asshole for this podcast, hey, let's be honest. I had the idea to bring in Kyle today. Just Oh, by the way, I, I invited Kyle, didn't tell David, and then I texted him afterwards after I tweeted. Oh, by the way, Kyle's going to be on the show. So. <laughs> So I didn't even have time to tell you how much I dislike Kyle. <laughs> Wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. It was already, that was already pretty well known, Dave. <laughs> that was implied. All right. So Scott said, hey, Ryan and David, as always, love the podcast and appreciate the hard work Ryan puts in. Thank you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> I, had, I had an idea for the podcast that I wanted to pass along. Dave's. They were herocious. Uh, blank of the week, call, play, team, etc. The conference and your parody-loving fan base need more sarcasm. So they, he wants a blank of the week. So what, like, a herocious call of the week, herocious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. We can do yeah. that for next year. Uh, yeah. I need to cut. So the drop is they were herocious, and someone suggested we just have just herocious, so we don't. So I could, I, I could change the drop. Um, if you haven't already touched on the four-part article, okay, we did all that. Uh. Outside of not realizing things that were uh, that were that bad, I came away realizing Larry's replacement has been right in front of us the whole time. Slick Rick Neuheisel. This is brilliant. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, few knew the conference as well as him after whittling, whittling away three teams in the footprint. The trophies may be scarce, but the gloves will be plentiful. What say you? <laughs> Hell yeah. No, I'm on board. 100%. He's a really it. he's the, a really good analyst. The more unqualified people we have in high level positions in the Pac-12, the better, right? And so if, if that's and just keep him for. the hell away from a football field, I don't care what he does. He's a really good analyst and like I said, if he had enough gloves, would have won. Uh lastly, Ryan, looks like you dollar sign C might be injecting some air raid into the program by hiring Cliff Kingsbury. Uh is that is this going to turn things around having zero knowledge of that program? I suspect if Helton doesn't run the table next year, he may have hired his replacement. Thanks and keep up the good work. Um, kind of answered that. Yeah, I, and just real quick, I think for Kingsbury, like you said, it's got there's a lot of upside. But if he turns the team around, I don't think Clay Helton gets fired. So it's he just he takes a five and seven team. They score like fifty points a game, and they win ten games or something. He just goes somewhere else and gets a better job. I don't know they would replace Clay Helton because he turned the team around like they won. I don't know if he'd get rid of them, but I don't yeah. Do. 
feels like the Gus Malzahn scenario where he went in as the offensive coordinator, um, helped them win a, a national title, goes somewhere else, and then comes back as the head coach. Oh, maybe, yeah. He, he became a U.S. That would do it, though, at USC. You, he's got, oh, he's got some USC experience. He's a USC guy who was actually successful. That would work. All right, this is from Chris. Oh. Hey, guys, Chris and Soul, yet again, we have a winner. Ugly, ugly, ugly to watch, but you must bow down to the Huskies. Even as a Husky alum fan, I have to admit this one would have been better on the Pac-12 network than National Fox. With Gaskin Ahmed held under 150 yards, it was up to Browning's arm to win it. Dave, you have not done Browning justice calling him noodle arm. Last Friday, he was also consistently inaccurate, usually short, but come on, not arm punts. Also, Browning seemed to frequently throw at a covered receiver when another was very open. Maybe Browning was the kid you let play pin the tail on the donkey without a blindfold just to keep it close. My Browning love aside, he did quarterback 39 victories, an impossible dream since the James years. He lost many fans when he clearly regressed, both physical skills and decision-making from sophomore to junior to senior years. The coaching staff's incessant defense of even his poor, poor performance was what turned me off, and I felt somewhat vindicated when Peterson got so disgusted he yanked him in the cow loss. In a Pac-12 championship game that came down to which offense made more mistakes, Jake proved to be a senior and Shelly a freshman. I would not agree with that. I think Jake proved to be like a a sophomore, like early sophomore year, and uh, Shelly a freshman. But anyway, if Utah could only have played USC with Lynn Swan as quarterback, the probability of catastrophic mistakes would swing the other way. Final words, noodle arm and all, Browning did win more games the past four years than Helton did as head and assistant coach. Noodle arms, Trump, noodle heads. Preface to my question. That was not the preface to the question, apparently. Preface Whoa. to my question. <laughs> what, what was given, that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> given, this, <laughs> given the state of Pac-12 football, I recommend religiously using the acronym POC rather than the full title Podcast of Champions. Say it enough and people will forget the original full title. Should that fail, I have a better idea. My first wife told me that back in the day, Cleveland had a local beer called POC. Aficionati called it aficionati is the plural of aficionado. Wow. Who knew? I didn't know that. Uh, called it piss on Cleveland in the Larry Scott years. It is more appropriate, perhaps more accurate. You guys produce piss on Cleveland. I digress. <sighs> Questions. Questions. There's still one. Yeah. You ready? We're Chances like Chris's of, therapy, his therapist or something. We still have like eight of these. I don't know how – I don't think we're going to get through them all. We no. got to do this quick. We're over two hours. Yeah. Chances the Pac-12 will repeat last year's 1-8 bowl fiasco other than the fact that there are not nine Pac-12 bowl teams this year. Uh, very slow. Yeah. Very minimal. Slim. Very minimal. Uh, two, how do the Pac-12 coaches rank based on having the best record given the players available strip out recruiting performance? Go ahead and include McIntyre. Try and avoid giving credit for building the future uh, that will get rewarded in next year's rankings or surprise that someone proved not to be a buffoon, buffoon, e.g. Edwards, or is a buffoon, e.g. Helton. Love your podcast, Chris. Okay, so he wants us to rank the coaches really quick. I did this uh, recently, so let me pull that up on Twitter while you guys talk this out on your own. I mean, start with Chris Peterson. You think he's the best? Yeah. Okay. I think you go to so Chris Peterson's one. I mean, you guys I'm aren't David Shaw going, guys, but I think what's on the resume, Shaw's right there. I'm probably, probably still going Chip, but oh yeah, yeah he's Shaw's there too. So it's the, the next group is 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 Chip, Shaw, and Whittingham, and Leach. I think Leach will be right after that grouping. I think what Whittingham did having the had him in the undefeated year, having a couple of those big time seasons at, at Utah, yeah. and the bull wreck, and all that. I would I would put him just ahead of Leach, but I mean, you could 
easily justify including Leach considering where he had that success right in right in that group as well. I mean, if you're talking about past it, success, it, isn't Chip the best? No, Peterson's done it at two schools. Uh, Chip's only done it at one. And he did it for four years. Peterson's been elite for longer. You have to go Peterson first, I think. Yep. Um, Chip is number two. So I have mine was Peterson, Chip, Shaw, uh, and then Leach ahead of Whittingham, which I think you can flip flop those fine. That's whatever. And then I've got Wilcox six right now. Because uh. the other options are Sumlin, Edwards, Cristobal, Helton. Like, what? I mean, I think right. Chris, Cristobal would have to be at the bottom just because he doesn't have the body of work. Yeah. Unless, we we're, unless we're actually saying, like, who would you rather have as the coach, which is right. different. Like Jonathan uh, Smith, like, just don't know. You right. know Same with him. Jonathan Smith yeah. and, and Cristobal would have to be at the bottom. I mean, so if you're going six, who is it? Wilcox, someone, Edwards, or Helton? McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, McIntyre, if he was still there, he might be sick. No joke. I, would, I, I think I would put someone ahead of Wilcox right now, but I think yeah. I, I would also expect that to change very soon. He has a win yeah. over Alabama on his resume, at least. So you got something. I mean, if Justin Wilcox's best season is a, is a seven and five year. Yeah. So I, I, that seems fine. Okay. So, I mean, so you got to put Helton. I mean, Helton did win a Rose bowl and won the pack 12. Helton, Helton's got to be a, <laughs> yeah. If we're talking about who's got the most impressive resume versus yeah. who would you rather when you guys are talking about different, like, Chip, no, I, no, no, but I think he told us to remove recruiting from the whole thing. So, Based on having the best record given the players available, has he really done well given the players he's had? Oh, I guess if you want to quantify, I mean. Well, what about uh, how does Chip's time in the NFL factor in then too? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you'd have. Like a, I, I think gonna, you'd have to. I think you'd have to ding Chip on how he did at the end of his time in the NFL. Yeah, if you're gonna have Chip too, you have to have Helton hired if it's based on what you've already done because he's. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't put him as a top 10 coach in the Pac-12, but he's done better than most of the coaches in the Pac-12, what he's done in three years. Okay. This is probably best done in like tiers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Helton's clearly in like that middle-ish tier. That's not the top tier and probably not with Smith and Cristobal because he's at least done more than them. Yeah. You can't, you can't have him behind those guys yet. No, there's, there's, so there's, there's, you could no, argue that those guys are better coaches. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the argument. Yeah, yeah. All um, right. You want, let's do one more, and then we got to get uh, Kyle out of here. So, all right. Why don't is, we pick? Oh, uh, oh let's not you have a good one. That. Let's oh. see. We Did we get any good true falses? There's got to be a good true false in here. Oh, our man didn't do it. Uh. Oh, okay. So Michael just did one. I'll just read it because it's pretty quick. Okay. Well, it's not. It's not quick. It's just a lot of questions, but they might be quick ones. All right. Which game was worse, the UCLA six to three win in the Sun Bowl over Illinois, or this year's Pac-12 championship game? Um, I didn't watch the Sun Bowl over Illinois. I watched the other six to three win for UCLA, which almost turned me off football altogether in two thousand three. <laughs> um, even still, I would say this Pac-12 championship game was one of the worst games I've ever watched. It was awful. Yeah. Um, okay. And then he said, uh, which was the worst coaching decision? A, Chris Peterson pulling Jake Browning in the cow game, leading to the pick six that cost them the game. Or B, Kirby Smart trying a fake field goal in the SEC championship game, possibly costing his team a spot in the playoffs. Nothing says, I don't trust my defense more than a desperation play on fourth and 11. What do you guys say? B. B for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, be sure because I think that can, cost an actual playoff spot where Washington probably wouldn't have made it anyway. Yeah, and you could justify Peterson benching Browning, but I mean, at the time, it was weird timing wise what you're doing. And obviously, the result was horrible because you lose the game. Um, but you probably should have done it at other times just to like work someone else in. You know, that's that was justifiable. The, the smart play was there was inexplicable. No, just yeah. completely off. The thing is, like you, you needed a fluky play to make Peterson's decision look bad, and you needed a fluky play to work for Smart's decision to look good, and it didn't. Right. So that's kind of how my good way of putting it. I'll break that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, how does he do it? Kyle Whittingham is eleven and one, so that's the stat in bowl games. Okay. Which leads active coaches and maybe the best of all time. How does he do it? A with a few weeks to prepare, Whittingham is amazing at game prep. B, by underachieving in the regular season, the Utes end up with a weaker opponent. Or C, Whittingham cares more about meaningless exhibitions than other coaches. So what do we think? I think they've had a lot of winnable games that is certainly the probably the primary factor in it. I mean, he certainly gets credit for having the the team prepared after you know a lot of time off. He, he clearly does that better than most because it's not like... You know, the other coaches have the same option as him too. But but if you go back and look at who they've played, I mean, I, I've got it up right here. I mean, it's you know, last year it was like, a bunch of middle tier Pac twelve teams yeah. when they're in the mountains. So so it was like West Virginia last year without Will Greer, Indiana, BYU, Colorado State, Georgia Tech. Um, they lost to Boise State. They beat Cal. Um, oh, then you get to Alabama, and there's an impressive win back in the state. So I mean, it's it's Navy, Tulsa, Georgia Tech. I mean, see, these are the these, those are the games that Utah is winning. So it's not like they're winning games. And I, maybe they were even favored in in all those games except for Alabama, right? So if you're kind of holding serve, you're essentially doing what you're supposed to do. I mean, it doesn't it shouldn't take away from the accomplishment, but I think that that's probably the the biggest factor in why they've have such a um, a one sided record. And I think too, it's not like a Sometimes you have an offense that if they're you take some time off, you could be a little rusty and things like that. Like they're good on special teams. They're good on they're good on stuff that doesn't really take a day off as much. That's true. So that might help too. Maybe. Yeah, that seems right. I don't know. Um, cool. Well, he says keep up the good work. That's that's from old Michael. Oh, nice. Thank you, Michael. Well, we want to thank uh, our special friend, our special guest, our special guy. Oh, Kyle, thank our you. special boy. He's our guy. He's our, you're Kyle right. Ganabora. <laughs> our number one listener, our number one fan. And a top 10 to 12 Pac-12 reporter. The the, the Pac-12 or the, the podcast of Champions fan club meets uh, Wednesday nights in Santa Monica. So feel free oh. to stop by. You okay. hanging out in your apartment by yourself. Dave, we don't need to go into details about the meeting. <laughs> I told you where to where it is, and we don't have to add anything more to that. Yeah, but make sure you follow Kyle on Twitter, uh, Bonagora E S P N, uh, B O N A G O R A E S P N on Twitter. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to read a tweet in response to the photo you posted. Uh, Twiddly dumb responds to the photo you posted just now on Twitter. Yes. He looks like a hostage. <laughs> I, I look like a hostage. You look like a hostage. I mean, I bought him lunch. Like, I don't know. Like, he's here under his own free will, I think. I mean, I, he's really just a hostage to all of your questions, people. That's, this is your fault. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, maybe he didn't want to come down, but he did. Like, maybe he was just like really, really bored. I'm not sure. Ryan even said that I could do it on the phone. I was like, no, I'll come down. So I mean, there's a. I did give him the option. He gave me the option to get out of here, and I, uh, I was, I was totally cool. Your, your battery would be dead if uh, our very special boy Joey Kaufman complimented your hat as well. Oh, uh, we're. Uh, He's got an L.A. Whoop. football club hat. That's right. right. Is that right? Is that right? It's LAFC hat. Yeah. Okay. Dave's. I, I know Dave follows them religiously. As you do too, what? Ryan. What, both what you, I know. Bo- I know both of you guys are big MLS guys, so I had to. I had to bring that in. What, what, what sport is that? Oh, it's the world's <laughs> most popular one, Dave. You said football, though. I don't know what is that. Association I've never heard as, of as, association football. Wait, no, that would oh be, yeah, association football. Nice. Oh, okay. Uh, I I would like the stadium. So the stadium, if you don't know, the LA Football Club's new. They actually made the MLS playoffs in their first year. Uh, Will Ferrell is part of the ownership group. And uh, the stadium is where the old sports arena used to be next to the Coliseum. And they tried to bring another MLS team in. Like the, uh, I forget what it was, but it, it didn't do really well. Uh, was it, it was like a... Chivas? It Chivas USA. It was like a Mexican team, like Mexican branded team. Okay. A, it was like a sister club type of deal and it just didn't work it didn't really work but this one the ground like it was just everything was brand new um i have friends that are season ticket holders and you know you were one of the original ones right to to do it and yeah i'm a season ticket holder it's a lot of fun i mean it's a great atmosphere it's it's right next to usc it's 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 a good time out if you're like dave and you're a big soccer fan you should definitely attend as you know i'm not a big soccer fan but i've said i like i would go check out a game there and stuff like i've been to StubHub and i've seen some stuff i mean i had a good time whatever i mean but it's not you know it's not my thing but uh, I would I will go check it out. So, Kyle, you want to, you know, you got an extra ticket one time? Uh, I did add to my allotment of season tickets for next year. So I'll count you in for a few. Nice. Uh, David, would you do that if you were in L.A. or no? Not at all. Go to, go to a soccer match? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I'd go. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's I'd not like. Soccer, what up? I can I'm see Dave on. going to a soccer game and then just speaking with a British accent the whole game. <laughs> 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 just being the most obnoxious person in the stadium. <laughs> But if, and that's a stadium full of soccer fans, so that's really saying something. Yeah. If, if I would go, it would probably be 0-0, zero, zero, and that would just be pitching to everyone around me, like, this is the worst freaking sport. They'd be like, shut up, and they'd like, flick their scarves at me and stuff or whatever. You know? The best thing that ever happened to MLS is the Pac-12 title game. <laughs> <laughs> we are moving up the chain. Um, all right. Well, I didn't really want to do soccer talk at the end, but yeah, Joey, Joey Kaufman – Maybe that, you know, see, Kyle complimented Joey a little bit earlier, gave him some props on a tweet he had. Maybe they had a little deal like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll mention you, but you just have to like tweet about my hat and let them bring that up. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> <or> maybe not. <laughs> if you knew I was going to take your picture yeah, as a hostage right. and tweet it out. I, have, I didn't have, I hold up a sign that says, help bring food. <laughs> T- holding today's newspaper would have been good. Yes. Um, that was good. We fed him already. So even though we sat here for over two hours talking, uh, at least he got some food. Okay. Uh, that is Kyle. Dave on the line. I am Ryan. We are all together. We're all one. The podcast of champions. The regular season is over, people. We're going to talk bowls. We're going to get some more special guests, talk about all the Pac-12. So keep sending the questions. We do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time.